Oi, you lot. You listen to Garage Heaven, episode 175. On today's episode, the Monlings try again to talk to you about the General's Handbook. The new General's Handbook. Where is the new excitement? The new fun? The new adventure? Turning the game on its head? Yes, that's what that's what the fat manling said. I haven't even seen it yet. Oh, he's so special. He gets an advanced copy, and the other one gets to see it, and they're all looking, and they think they're great. So now they're coming to you with all their fancy stuff, and there's so much. It's probably going to be in two parts. Let's just see if they can actually record it properly this time, because I'm getting sick of doing this over and over and over again. Shut it! I'm listening to me show! Welcome to the garage, you tools, for the next two hours or thereabouts. We will do our best to keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way, bringing you the General's Handbook 2017, and hopefully third time's a charm, I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm the comedian, because this is really a joke. It is such a joke. (laughs) And that is Watchmen. And of course, even if you didn't know it was Watchmen the first time, you know it's Watchmen. The third time you're going to get it. (laughs) Folks, this has been an episode in the making. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you know what? Okay. We'll explain it to you once we get through the basics, because we are going to run through the basics here. Uh, Sponsor time. Yeah, absolutely. So... As always, we need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Unique Gifts and Games. In Grays Lake, Illinois. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Okay, I was waiting for the next one. And Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Quick shout out to those guys. I saw them at Gen Con. We had an awesome time. We played Luchador. We had many drinks. The dice were flowing. And Kevin and I are... At least in our little group that we're playing there, the undisputed tag team champion luchadors of the world. Um, all right, so let's move on. Uh, oh, oh! Don't forget, we need to thank our Patreon associate producers Shirley Tempel and Phil Elliott. Thank you guys uh, very much for being up at that associate producer level and really being a part of uh, keeping uh, the show going and doing what we can do here. And we want to thank our newest patrons, David McLean and John Christensen. Thank you guys for joining the almost 1% who really do, um, really do show your love every month, um, by helping out the show and, um, keeping everything going here and, and making what we do possible like the upcoming Gen Con episode and things like that. So, uh, thank you so much. If you are interested in looking into and possibly becoming a sponsor of the show and helping out the show, which we would love, um, go to patreon.com slash garage hammer. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash garage hammer. Check it out. Um, it's kind of like tipping us anytime we do a show. You can Anything that you think is worth it. Is there? There's lots of different levels, little rewards. We would appreciate it. Thank you very much, folks. Um, all right, moving on again. Uh, hey, did you know, Alex, that we have voicemail? We have voicemail. We do have voicemail, and anyone can call us at one seven five seven GH show six. That's one seven five seven GH show six. And international callers can reach us at zero zero one seven five seven GH show six. Now, uh, that's most international. 
callers. Um, we had like five voicemails this week, and yes, we do. And they were actually pretty good. Um, Dave from Alaska called in to comment that the uh, yes, that the internet up there is that bad. That's why they have a lot of digital downloads. And that um, the dude who also called from Alaska, he said to find them on the AK Warhammer Facebook page, which AK is the short for Alaska, you know, the abbreviation. Um, mm-hmm. And that maybe if they're near each other, they can get together and, and do some gaming. And that made Alex and I feel great because we are bringing up people together in the vast expanses of Alaska, bringing them together for Warhammer. Um, we did have other calls. Um, we had a, a dude who called about with a really good question about uh, he's starting a, a grot army. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asking about allying stuff in does not want to ally in Oryx because he just like smirked. <laughs> so um, he was asked about that. Alex had a really good answer. Here's the deal. It's like five calls and they were all pretty long and they were good calls. And don't get me wrong. They mm-hmm. were they were really nice. Uh, another dude called in and I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, basically had this long call, really likes all of the little things that he really likes all of the names I do in the beginning, and he got all of them, and he urged Alex to listen to the th- to watch the thing, and um, then he wanted to know if the Master Engineer had a name other than the Master Engineer, to which we pointed out, I, I, I've never heard it. I don't know it. If he does, I don't know it, and I would be afraid to call him by his first name because he he's already threatened to punch me many times. So mm-hmm. um, that's it in a in a in a nutshell, um, you know. But the, the calls went. Were, they, I mean, they were nice, but they were a little long. And honestly, dude, this is all right. So we started recording on Thursday, which was the day before the show was due out. Uh, we weren't going to release it till Saturday anyway, because that's when the book dropped, and we didn't want to release this before the book dropped. And 45 minutes into recording, uh, I had a power fluctuation, and we lost power. There was a fuse popped, and power went out, and my recording equipment, uh, we record onto a onto, you know, a memory card, and then I take it and edit it on the computer. And um, it just, boom, it's gone. So we had to start over again. And we started and we recorded the whole show and it wound up running late. It did, the show didn't run too long. Actually, it only ran about 20 minutes longer than we had anticipated. But it was late. And we worked hard It was hard very on late. It. We, it was almost midnight when we finished and you and I both start really early in the morning. Yeah. So. And we were exhausted. But we did. And we thought it was good. Like we really you know, put a lot of effort into it. And uh, last night I got home from uh, Friday Night Warhammer at Unique Gifts and Games. Shameless plug. And... Uh, I sat down to edit the show to release it this morning, and there's no show. I don't know what happened, but something went wrong, and it did not record properly. So, um, complete freak out, ran upstairs, said, holy crap, Um, and uh, so... um, now we're doing. Long this. story short, too late. Yeah, so it's we're recording it almost, again. Yeah, it's almost eight o'clock Central Standard Time, and we are recording again. So, so. here's what's happening: um, we're going to cut out the toolbox. We're going to do a short version of the news, and we're going to jump into this. So, here we go. At it again, folks. We'll be back in a minute with uh, the news.
right, folks? Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chess X Dice and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted boarded miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we are back with the Garage Hammer News Network. <laughs> And Garage Hammer News, two recording guys who do podcasts totally screw up three times almost and have to keep recording their show over and over and over again to the point where one of them is going to kill himself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is only the third time this has happened in seven years, and one of them was at Adepticon, and we had been drinking, and we stopped, and then when we started to record again, it just... We forgot to hit record. So it only has actually happened twice, if you think about it. So, uh, boy, this was bad, though. Okay. All right. So here's the news. Hey, you're probably holding the general's handbook right now. If you're not, go get it and then come back and listen or listen on the way there to get it. Mm -hmm. The general's handbook is out and it's awesome. We're going to talk about that later. Right. So, um, other than all of that and all of the um, hubbub around that, let's. Uh, what else? Uh, what's up? For, oh, you know what else come, came out today are the uh, open war cards. Yes, very, very classy edition. They already have these for forty k. And essentially, how this works, and they even explain this in the handbook. But you like pull one of each of three different cards, and it essentially creates a scenario for you. That you can just pop and play. And I think they had said there's like 26,000 different variations of scenarios that this deck produces. So I think it's good. I forget how many you get, but I mean, yeah, because part of it is you get, there's five different types of cards. Because Mm. you've got your, um, you get your deployment card. And then you get your objective card, and then you get your twist card, which you know adds the little, you know, the little, the little, um, well, the twist to it, I guess. Uh, what's really great? Okay, the box is worth it just for all the different deployments. Mm-hmm. I was looking through them, and there are there's at least a dozen different ways to. I mean, I was just looking at going, I never thought to set up my army this way. Like, that's a cool little deployment zone setup. Like, just the variance on the straight-up battle line, or, or you know, that, we, that we're used to. You know, I'm on this side, you're on that side. Uh, variance, or, or the corner-to-corner, which gets annoying to set up. Um, but you figure, you, you know, the, the, the different combinations you can get from those three. Plus... They've also got the uh, two other cards, the Ruse card and the Sudden Death card. Mm-hmm. And basically, now, the way they've got it is you, you figure out how many wounds you have. And if you have more than me, then I get a Ruse card, which gives me a little something I can do. 
And if you really outnumber me, because it's for open play, like if you have like double the wounds I have in your army, then I mm-hmm. also get a sudden death card. Um, yep. Interesting rule is you're playing for the scenario, and if you win the scenario, you get a major victory. Um, if I choose to play the sudden death card, like I, you know, I can't win the objective because I have the army half the wound size of yours. If I do play the sudden death card, it's only a minor victory. Hmm. Yeah, sudden death cards are not a not considered a major victory because well, that wasn't the objective. Hmm. You know, I'm outnumbered and I did this other thing and I got a win, but it wasn't the win that was supposed to be the win. So it's not really the win that was the win. So it's a minor, a, a minor victory. But there's so much winning going on. Yeah. Oh, it's all win. I, I'm serious. I was flipping through the cards. I am. And it, it, it makes that sort of open play a little more interesting, but you can use it for other things too. And, and the, we'll talk about that when we get to the with the general's handbook because they give you all sorts of other ideas. But those open war cards, totally worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I cannot recommend those a month, uh, enough. I have them for the forty k too, and they're just they're pretty cool. I think even if you just come up to the table and say, "Hey, let's each bring two thousand points." Yeah. Um, if you don't have a scenario picked out or if you're getting tired with the ones in the book, although you've got all these cool new ones in in the new handbook, even if you get tired of those, um, pulling out or if you just, you know, you know those really well, something completely random, open war cards will do that for you. So, um, okay, last thing uh as far as releases go today up for pre-order um well for 40k is the death guard book and i am so buying that that was quick yeah (laughs) yeah dude i like nurgle and that book looks cool um yeah and i want to see i want i want to see some better pictures of the mortarian model so i'm excited about that Mm -hmm. um and of course if they're coming out with nurgle space marines and the Blight War box, boo! The Blight War box looks so awesome. Yeah, that is a good box, and if you've not seen it, I'm sure most of you guys have. It's uh, Vanguard Stormcast against Nurgle Demons, and it features two awesome new characters. Uh, we've got Horticultural Slimex, or Slimex, and his big snail, which is a fantastic-looking model. I don't okay. I don't get the people who are annoyed with this model. I don't get. I mean, okay, yeah, okay. It's a giant snail. It looks a little bit like Gary from SpongeBob, but whatever. This is a cool concept, and was that horticulture or whatever it's called, which is horticulturist like, or something like that. Which is and isn't horticulture? Isn't that like growing plants? Which is that's what he kind of does. Isn't that his gig? Yeah, it's not like he's got a plow hooked up to the back of a snail. Yeah. He's riding it. He was. He's. He's. Wait. He's the first of the. Um, what do you call it? Isn't he the plague first? bears? He's the first plague bearer. Yes. So he's the very first plague bearer ever, and now he rides the giant snail through the fields, growing plagues, new plagues, and new diseases, and new pusses, and things like that for mm-hmm. for Papa Nurgle. <laughs> That's just. That's wonderful. That is wonderfully yeah. gross and 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 fantastic. And he's just happy at his job. This loves is. his job. Even when you read the little, when you watch the video, if you go to the Warhammer community site 
and watch the video. Just listen to him talk. He's just like, yeah, I love I'm so happy to be doing this. It's great. Um, that's why I love Nurgle. Like for for a chaos god, a god who's sowing destruction and death and ruination among everything, they're just like they're just so pleased to be doing it. It's not like anger and violence and destruction or, or perversion or weirdness. It's just like everything's gonna fall apart soon. I'm just gonna help you do it. Let do do. Yeah, and realistically, Nurgle is the one with a sense of whimsy because if you look at like Nurglings and beasts of Nurgle, they're just wanting to play with you. Yeah, and it's okay that the snail looks a little silly because he's probably about the same way. And I think even rules wise, Slimex has some affinity with beasts of Nurgle. So I don't know. Maybe that's a thing that it's okay that you can laugh at a model, and he's okay to look kind of silly, but he looks awesome. How many so, of the how many of the plague bearers and stuff are all just got these giant dopey smiles on their faces and stuff. Most of them do. They're all just happy to be there. Like gibbering Mm -hmm. little morons. They're just wonderful. Like I'm really excited about this box set. I'm already splitting it with Brandon because he plays Nurgle and he saw it and he flipped out. And he saw this. He's like, I can't wait to play this. I can't wait to get this. I'm like, I know. Um it comes with obviously a little rules pack, so you get the new rules for your new models. It's got a little dial and stuff because Nurgle's got some new, some new. Um, is it allegiance? Is, is there it, a new allegiance ability? Yeah, new allegiance ability. So super excited! Now I'm assuming that the dial is just in there to help you keep track. You know that you could probably keep track, you know, on your own. Yeah, if you, didn't have you can the dial. use the chart in the book, but then you have the dial there for a handy gaming aid, right? Which is awesome. So I'm. I'm expecting Nurgle should be coming soon, given Death Guard and now this box. So it's going to be a good time to be stinky and green. Yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, and My then, wife would disagree with you. She says it's never good when I'm stinky and green, but that's another story. Mm, yeah. Um, now, most importantly in this box, most importantly, now we've got all the cool Nurgle stuff and we've got the new Nurgle. Team. We got You get a bunch of Vanguard um, uh, Stormcast, so you know. Then they're the new stuff, so it's nice that they're putting out some of the newer stuff. You get all the the new Stormcast model. Yes, Nave Black Talon or yeah. the Knights of Pharos or whatever it is. Because yeah, we haven't Are, gotten we haven't gotten a new model in in a couple of months, so I was starting to feel, I was starting to feel neglected. Like, hey, new Stormcast, where is it? And here it is. And they made they knocked this one out of the park. Yes, like. There is no doubt that this is one of the best models in the range now. And this is the only Stormcast model I like better with the helmet off. And you and I are in the same camp. If you're going to a fight and you have an option to wear a helmet, you put the freaking helmet on. Yeah. But she looks so good. Stormcast Eternals wear their helmets. Don't take them off. Space Marines wear your... I don't ever, if I can avoid it, field... Space Marines or Stormcast helmetless. Mm-hmm. Heck, I've got the Gilliman model, and I'm 99% positive that when I build him, he's gonna. He, I'm going with the helmet option because if you yeah. can have your helmet on, put your helmet on. And uh, this thing, it. But I looked at this. I'm like, wow, it actually looks good without the helmet. Like, yeah, I'm, and some of, I mean, some of the models do look good without the helmet. I just It's just they look like Macklemore. <laughs> it's so bad. 
but this one doesn't bother me. Like it no. really doesn't. Like I looked at it and said, "Wow!" That, like my first reaction wasn't, "Oh, where's the helmet?" Which is always the reaction I have when they don't have a helmet. It was, "Oh, this is kind of this looks kind of good." Yeah, and she's a fe- a clearly female model without being like overtly feminine or sexual or anything like that, which is something that has happened before with modeling. But she is very warrior esque. Yes. And not like this, you know, scantily clad heroine type character that gets so typically played. But between this one and the female Stormcast coming out with Shadespire, they're actually doing female models right. Which yeah. is which awesome I, to see. I got to play a game of Shadespire with Eddie, uh, of all things, from the Warhammer TV. They were at Gen Con, and I got to play a game with him. And uh, Shadespire is awesome, by the way. Yeah. Um, it's really, like, I was like, wow, this is way more fun than it looks like it should be. Um, mm-hmm. And once I saw all the options, and we'll, I'll talk about that one again in the Gen Con episode. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just even the, the variety of options on how to set the game up, replay value on that game is stupid high. And... Once they start coming out with more factions than they have just in the box, I'm, oh, wow. Friday night Warhammer at UGG when Shadespire comes out, there's going to be a lot. I think there's going to be a lot of Shadespire happening because that's an easy uh, thing to play, especially when like a couple of the dads who come who get there a little late and UGG is only open till nine. So you can't mm-hmm. get a, a full big game of Warhammer. I could see Shadespire leagues popping up really quick this uh, this Christmas time. Good, so good, good, good. Um, oh, okay. So now we do have one, and I want to read this out. Um, we got uh, a, a tournament to read out for. Uh, I was asked to read this. Uh, a guy sent us up from Du Bois GT. And asked us if we could uh, plug their GT. So I'm just going to read this off their off their promo thing. It would go simpler that way. Uh, we're excited to announce registration is now open for the 2017 Du Bois Grand Tournament and Gaming Weekend. Du Bois will be held on the weekend of November 17th through 19th in Rochester, New York. This three-day gaming extravaganza features multiple gaming systems and formats. This year, we'll be holding multiple events in the Warhammer 40K, Age of Sigmar, Blood Bowl, and I guess, well, I guess they're playing 8th Ed, too, um, there as well. Registration and composition systems are available at D-A-B-O-Y-Z-G-T.com. They're located at the Writ Inn and Conference Center in Rochester, New York, R-I-T dot E-D-U slash Writ Inn, R-I-T-I-N-N. You can contact them at DuBoisROCGT at gmail.com. And they got a Facebook group, DuBoisGT. Um... I think that's about it. Um, yeah, so that was that. They asked us to promote that. Um, the boys has always been, I mean, they've been, that GT's been around for a while. It's always been a big GT. So mm-hmm. check it out. Um, and before we talk about your thing, Alex, uh, shameless plug for me, uh, Warhammer, or no, yeah, Warhammer-Community.com. If you've not been there, you should check it out. Where have you been? Like That's like their big info dump for all sorts of articles about everything coming out for Warhammer. And if you've flipped through the articles this past week, you may see one titled David's Dwarden. Yeah. Um, 
somebody, Mister Fancy Pants. <laughs> yes, um, you know the Dwarden, the dispossessed, which are the old Dwarden that we knew and loved back in earlier editions of Warhammer as dwarves. Um, you know they got new allegiance abilities, and they're pretty darn cool, and they really um, they play to the lore. And mm-hmm. I was really excited about it, and I was talking with uh, some of the guys about it, um, and um, so they asked me if I'd write an article for the yeah for them, and I did, and they actually yeah. published it. <laughs> it was a really good read. It was very well written and covered a little bit of everything, not just the competitive part of it, but it was it was a really well done piece. Well, thank you. I kind of thought it was all. Over. I, I, I'm I'm hypercritical, and I'm, I'm I'm probably too verbose. So I had I had a word limit put on me, and I actually hit it to the to the word because I was over by about twenty thirty words. When I, after cutting it down, I was over by like twenty thirty words. So I had to go back there and start trimming and and things. Uh, got it down, um, and it was it was pretty exciting. And and the response has been really nice. People have been really sweet. Thank you guys for all that. Uh, all that, all the the really nice response, but it was very exciting. But dude, you have a slightly more exciting news than writing a thousand word article. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, like last week on Warhammer uh, TV, um, they were talking, and you know they do all this play testing, and they don't apparently just do play testing in England. Um, they have reached across the sea to America for playtesting and they mentioned that our good friend Domus is a playtester and all of a sudden Twitter went Domus, Domus, hey! And Domus went it's not just me, there's also Relian and Tyler Mengel and this other dude named Alex Gonzalez so, wow Alex is a playtester yeah, which is pretty freaking amazing and um, wow, I mean I know that, I knew you could keep a secret um, but then I really knew you could keep a secret when they went, Alex is a playtester. I went, really? <laughs> My co-host is a playtester. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Good for you, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, they approached us because um, they were looking for another set of eyes on how to keep working with new product that's coming out, how to make the game as it is better. Um and it's a real honor, a real privilege to be a part of that group that is actively taking a role in trying to grow the game and make it better. Um, and it's it's one of those things, folks, don't ask us any questions because we won't tell you anything. Um, Not if we you want to stay have, play testers. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, all, the other big thing is we outed ourselves because we were – I don't know, we wanted people to know that it wasn't just an isolated thing over in the UK, that the company is really branching out to the community and having picked four outstanding leaders of the community, um, and then that's uh, three and me, but the <laughs> real Yeah. The big thing is it's just this is a different face to the company and they are really trying to getting as much feedback as they can to make this game everything that we know it can be. So it's a real honor. It's really cool, man. I'm really happy for you. And I mean, they picked, they picked the right guys. I mean, 
let's face it. I mean, when you, especially here in the Midwest, I mean, uh, geez, we just went to XYZ tournament. Who won? Rallion. Or who came in the top three? Rallion and Domus. You know, Domus won. Uh, hey, there was one big one day AOS tournament at Gen Con. Who won? Oh, Domus. You mm-hmm. know, uh, spoiler, Domus won the one AOS uh, tournament at Gen Con. Um, and good for Domus. He's, I mean, he's a good player. He is. He's a, he, he knows his stuff, you know. Um, heck, I think every AOS one-day event I've run in the past year and a half at UGG, you've won when you've shown up. Uh, yeah, you, and you, I've... You've won your share of events. I mean, and heck, on the show here, how many times we're setting up for stuff and you're like, uh, you know, we get to that back part of the book after we hit all the lore and it's like, I'm like, oh, this looks pretty cool. And you're like, yeah, but if you combo it with X, Y, and Z, and I'm just like, I, I, what? That's amazing. And you're like, yeah, it was pretty obvious. It's like, oh, okay, so we've got good player here and me. So, you know, if if it's three good players and you, then I then I don't know where I fall on that ladder because you're pointing the stuff out to me and I'm like, "Oh, okay." Um <laughs> yeah. But in any event, so no we're we're excited and we are happy to be contributing as much as we can. So, this is all reflective of the company them reaching out to the community again and new attitude. It's new GW. So, let's just roll with it. All right, so what's coming out next? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the General's Handbook is a fantastic new release. Yes, it is. If you don't have it already, you should probably go get it. Um, so, do we want to take a break before um, we start chatting about this? Or uh, yeah, I guess I guess we might as well. Um, you know what? Uh, bef- okay, before we go into that, because we got a little time before we need to hit break, and I don't want to hit too quick and then run into a really long segment because people get annoyed when they get too long. That's that's the biggest complaints I get are the long, long segments. Um, the FAQs have. Oh yeah, I'll hit, save that for later. But we oh, can talk about it. Might as well uh, just so, hit that now, and so that we can sure. get it out of the way before we actually jump into the general's handbook. Um, so you got the FAQs for the rules, which have you know covered all the the, the main rules and and all the the four factions, and th- there's a bunch. You know, uh, we're not going to go into detail on all of it, but it, it's there if you want to go look it up. Um, yeah, it's pretty conclusive. They're, we really tried to hit a lot of nails. And they also released the updated Compendium War Scrolls. Um, hint, they're all still there. You just may have to find different uses for your models. Um, so, like, Teclas isn't a thing anymore, but you can still use the model as an Archmage. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And then they got rid of... Uh, the special characters that were compendium and made them into generic type characters, which now means you can take Cetra and give him an artifact or a command trait. This is a good thing, folks. Pimp my Cetra? Okay. Yeah, that one in particular. Now, I mean, some of them had some of their rules changed because yeah, the one thing and the thing that, that the thing that's that's fueling the anger, I guess. Um Okay, the compendium stuff, there's a reason it's not in the General's Handbook, guys. And, hey, you know what? We all lost models here. You know, I don't have a Thorgrim Grudge Bear or a Thoric Iron Brow anymore, you know? And I lost Skarsnik and Kalita and a few others, too. No, I lost. Yeah, I lost Kalita, too. The thing is, if they don't make the model anymore, okay, they're not going to be putting it in with the new stuff because they're moving forward and they're a business. 
All right, and I'm not getting up on the preachy horse here. I'm just stating the facts like they are. I mean, this is just simple business, right? Mm-hmm. They are going to promote. That's why it's not in the GHB. The stuff that's in the GHB is the stuff they currently still sell. You know what I mean? And they're not going to like someone. I was reading. Someone's like Orion doesn't link up with Wanderers anymore. He's he's order. If you want to play an order faction then you can play all those Wanderers as an Order faction and have Orion or whatever his new name is, Lord of the Woods, with him, right? But if you're going to play a Wanderers faction, then straight-up Wanderers, he's not He's not going to be in that list. He doesn't come in with them. He doesn't ally in with them. That's not, He's not a part of it, all right? That's because it doesn't work that way. And you can be as salty as you want about it, but... They're not going to have you bringing in your new thing, this cool thing, and have that be an integral part of it. And then have someone come in who's new and say, oh, that's really cool. I want to do that, too. Where can I get that? And then GW say, we, you can't have that. That's, mm-hmm. they don't want, that's, that's, not, that's bad business. And they're not going to do it. And, I, and they're still letting you play with all your stuff, but it, it doesn't get to go into the new faction. It just goes into the four main factions your your uh the generic grand alliances yeah order death chaos destruction um other than that and so some of the rules had to change i know uh like what's it the the beast lord gorthor i think he is yeah his command ability gave a bubble bonus to all brayherd but now he's not brayherd so it just gives it to himself so did he get a little worse you're but you can still but then play. Then you just turn it around and use it as a tusk or chariot. Yeah, yeah. You just use it as that because it can use. It. But every model you have is still usable, and every character. I mean, like I said, like you said, Cetra. I don't think any of his rules changed. His com- his crown changed where you can't like stack all of the extra mummy traits right onto a unit. Okay. But still, that one change, you don't have to try to not kneel anymore. <laughs> that's right that's gone but then you give him artifacts or you could take multiple setras there's nothing and you can it's a tomb king and an exalted chariot yeah okay you can do that you can give him command traits you can give him artifacts i mean suddenly boom he works i mean that's pretty cool i mean that was kalita you can still take her she still gives her buff to the to hit um and and now she can get command traits and artifacts. Yeah, which is where she was kind of a letdown prior to this update. And Bretonia is still really good. Oh, and let's those... talk about uh, King 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 Lion, King Lewin. Yeah, whatever. I never know how to pronounce his name. It's a king on a hippogriff. Yeah, let's but... talk about that guy coming into your army now. I mean, psh, that thing's awesome. And yeah, just got better. So a lot of you know, I I think if you if you're in, if you're insisting that you want to play with these old things, um, yes, you're limited to what type of alliances you can bring them into, but you've been given more freedom in other ways you can use them. I think I think it's 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 a fair it's honestly it's a fair trade off. Uh, Considering that they could have been squatted at this yeah. point, you know, and realistically, we're two years into it. If they haven't gotten rid of them by now, 
they are probably not going to. Yeah. So let's look on the bright side, people. And and they updated Forge World too. Yes, and those are pretty Squid Gaba useful. Who would have thought? And I know some people are going to look at Sale and think, "Oh, this guy is garbage now. He's so useless." It's like, no, no actually, he he's not, not garbage. In fact, I'll say this: um, the guys from is it is it is it Terry Pike on yeah. Face Hammer? He's already saying that he's better because now he's cheaper, and he's like, oh, he's already found a combo that he's filthier than he was before. He's like, I can make this guy even worse than he was before. I'm like, oh, no. So, yeah. The, yeah, I mean, he's gotten his, cheaper. and he change. Yeah, he can only throw about uh, Slaves to Darkness. Yeah. But just follow me, people. If he's going to be in a Zinch ally because he's Slaves to Darkness into a Disciples of Zinch list, Zinch chosen with Destiny Dice on the charge. That's still a thing. You just get to use him in a different way. But we don't have the Storm Fiend bomb. We don't have the Bloodletter bomb. But he's still useful he's still in a lot useful. of Chaos armies. So it's just having to use him in a different way. And he's cheaper. And he's cheap as chips. Yeah. But he's not offensive anymore. <laughs> The whole cast Dwarf like, Army from Tamarcon has just gotten better. Yeah. Yep. I'm I'm super excited. Um let's see what else what else have they fixed up? Um The Morgul got some touch ups, so he he's good. Yep. He's still a tank. He's just not absurd yeah. like he used to be, and with the new Nihon Allegiance ability, which we'll talk about in a later episode, he gets even better. So it's okay guys you can still use your broken ghost it's okay he's just not (laughs) as broken so it's just realistically guys and we'll talk about this in a second we'll come back from the break but it's okay really yep it's okay good um and a couple of the regular faq things i just wanted to touch on that i thought were interesting um on the re-rolls um you know, and it says now, unless it says you have to re-roll all your dice, when it says you may, you know, you can, you can re-roll. Mm-hmm. You know, how you're supposed to re-roll before the modifiers, right? Yep. Um, so people are saying, well, okay, but if I get a plus one to hit on my re-rolls, so I have fours to hit, and I get a plus one, so that's threes. But I do it before modifiers, and I'm re-rolling threes, so I'm 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 throwing away perfectly good hits. They actually says in the FAQ, you don't have to re-roll the threes. You can opt not to re-roll the threes. You can just re-roll the ones and twos. Mm-hmm. And, people, and then someone said, well, then what the heck? Why would I even bother to... Why don't I just do it the way we were doing it where we did the modifier beforehand? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, um, if you do it before, after modifiers, then plus one to hit means that you know ones will always hit. There's no missing on them, right? Because you modify it, you don't re-roll ones. There's no, or when you get the option that to re-roll ones, if you get a plus mm-hmm. one to hit, then you can't re-roll your ones if you do it before modifiers. Um, the other thing is, it still actually hurts. It, it's it's a benefit if you have a buff that you can choose not to re-roll. But if someone hits you with a penalty, like a minus one to hit, so if I hit on fours and I just got a minus one to hit, uh. 
so I, I get to re-roll my failed hits. That four is not a failed hit, so I don't get to re-roll it before the modifier. So those fours are actually going to hurt. So when people throw penalties at you, um, your re-rolls aren't really going to save all of it. So there, there's a give and take there with that. I thought it was interesting, though, that the reminder that you don't you, – when you get to re-roll, you can re-roll as much as you want. No, you don't have to re-roll at all. So it's like, oh, okay, cool. So if I mm-hmm. if I give myself a bonus, I don't have to ruin it with my other bonus, um, right? Yeah, and um, and they fixed the stone horns. That made me happy. They but, made it more consistent with a because they released the rogue idol war scroll earlier oh, yeah. this week, oh, yeah. and it has the same it had the same thing where it half the damage that it took, but now them and the necro sphinx the. Tomb King Sphinx stuff, and now the Stonehorns are all in line with the half the damage characteristic. Uh, so it makes them less survivable against single damage attacks. Right. But it's still a Frost Lord on a Stonehorn. This guy is not a slouch regardless. <laughs> so it's okay, people. Yeah, but they took Jeez. away the thing that made that was super unfun to play against and made it a little Correct. less unfun, so I'm good. All right, let's hit that break like we were talking about. Um, when we come back, all about the General's Handbook. in Grays Lake, Illinois is your one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your gamer may want, from board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program. Check out their events calendar, in-store or online. From Tuesday night miniature games and Thursday night board games to Friday night magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. We are back. We are back and we are ready to go. We are excited. We are happy. We are jazzed and juiced. How'd you like that for a, for a bring back? There's a lot of energy right there. There's so much. I am, I'm on fire. I'm bringing the heat. All right. So uh, let's do this. All right. General's Handbook 2017. Um, okay. We're doing this in two parts. You might have noticed if you saw the episode said part one. Um, just so you know, we are going to really delve into all of the, um, allegiance abilities, like in depth next episode. Um, sorry mm-hmm. guys there that I know that's half the book, which is interesting. Um, 
granted, you had 19 sets of uh, Allegiance abilities and six War Scrolls. Um, plus, plus six War Scroll Battalions, plus a War Scroll I update. Six, plus yeah, I meant Battalion, sorry. Points update. There was a lot in the match play section that got bumped up, and with them moving past the glory into its own book that took out a good chunk of the narrative section. Yep. So, But they definitely buffed up the open play section. And realistically, when you pick up this book, most people are going to skip to the back half anyway. Um, but I think but it is now half the book instead of being yeah. just the smallest section. It's now half the book. Um, we are going to talk about the the the... You know the match play section a bit because there is some cool stuff they have in there, but this show would go on forever if we started to get crunchy with all of that. So uh, we are just really going to break this into two parts and get crunchy next episode. Right now, um, we're going to cover the the more narrative and open play stuff in a little more detail, and then um, see what we have left and do a little bit uh, into the. Uh, match play but not get into the super de- super super detail stuff uh, yeah we'll save the nitty-gritty for next episode yeah um, plus give us a little more time to look at it because i still i'm still taking things in at, at points I'm like whoa okay mm-hmm. yeah so, there's a lot going on yeah uh first section is open play games and it gives you the general introduction to open play and honestly you know i and i sat and you know, to prep for this, you know, you, you read this and you think, okay, I know what open play is, and you flip flip past it. But I, I read it anyway. Okay, mm-hmm. there are some decent reasons here to consider open play. You know, and they point yeah. out they're like, you know, if you're trying out a new army or just a couple of new units, and you want to kind of get the feel for them, you know, open play is the perfect opportunity to say, listen, you know, I just want to throw a few units on the field, bring a couple things over. I just want to try out this or. I know I said it a couple episodes ago. We had a couple. We had, this boy came over. I, th- I, know, I know you know, Alex. I don't. I mean, I know I said it on the show, too. If, if you weren't listening to that episode, dude, this kid has to be like 11. I think his name's Joe. And I'm pretty certain his name's Joe. I'm terrible with names. Forgive me. Um, but he came into the store about three, four weeks ago. Came into UGG on Friday Night Warhammer with his mom. Uh, he had his brothers who went to college old uh, Battle for Skull Pass set. And he was interested in learning how to play. And he had been watching YouTube videos, and he had learned all the 8th edition stuff. And so I had to unlearn him on that stuff, the stuff he saw in the videos. Um, but we sat there over the course of an evening, and he pretty much, you know, I mean, I showed him what his stuff did. He got the basics on how to play. He's been back every Friday night since. And we got another guy in our group who comes to UGG. He's got a son who's like, I think he's like 10. And... Mm-hmm. Every Friday night, they're there playing together, you know, and they both bring their stuff and they kind of have the points down and they're not exactly even. And I even told them, I said, guys, don't, you know, don't worry about the points you've got, you, you know, bring And those are the kids who, when they're starting, you know, if they pick up another unit and stuff, they're like, oh, I'm just going to bring another unit, you know, and the kid's like, well, I'll just bring a little extra too. They are totally open playing it. Like they don't, they don't know exactly what they're bringing. You know, and if you want to teach someone, open play is a great way, especially for the younger players to bring them in and not mm-hmm. worry about not worry about getting getting down with all the little bits and all the numbers and stuff. Um, 
it, it's really a great learning tool. It, in the beginning, it's a great learning yeah. tool. Yeah, it's great to get things going, and realistically, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, it's just a lot of people just kind of assume it's the four pages of rules, which it is, but with this new handbook, they've really expanded on the different ways you can do open play. And yeah. I think that was great. Uh, and the open war cards, like we said, are great because those will just throw down a bunch of, uh, you know, ideas and, and ways to play with your open war, with your, uh, with you bring your army. And, you know, if you, if you want to go, and I, and I'm, and I'm going to use the term narrative, if you want to go into almost a, uh, uh, like just play out a story, you know. I mean, how many times have you said, "I just want to bring all my models for this army to the table"? Mm. You know, I've done. Yeah. I, yeah, I've open war is almost the way to go with that if you want to, because you don't know. I mean, you can sit and figure out all the points and say, "Well, do you have something to bring against this?" Or I can be like, "You know what, Alex? I just want to field all the stormcast I have." You know, I've got. A bunch. I mean, you know what I have. You've seen it. You know, yeah. bring all your orcs and goblins, or for in your case, bring all your goblins. You know, bring something else with it. Bring something crunchy. Let's bring out a crazy scenario. And if things start to go one sided, we'll we'll throw in a couple of you know, you know, we'll, we'll look up a, a time of war thing. Bring something crazy on the on the landscape, and. Um, Especially since Stormcast and, and, and Grotz seem like a like a bit lopsided and stuff. Um we'll we'll let you bring in um your stuff off the side of the board if it dies, you know, on a certain rule. I mean you could just make up some rules for open play and just see see how this goes. How long can this last? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you you can make up something fun like that if if you're into that type of a game really well. And they really go into all the different things you can do. With open play, um, you just kind of have to be willing to go there. Yeah, is what it is, and that's yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, they do when they get to the open war cards, give you some little variants that you can do. Um, they talk about how you can even use them in matched play tournaments if you want to. If you're if you're uh, if you're playing in a, uh, a tournament. And your players are are into that sort of thing, especially. I could see this happening at UGG. We've only got like six tables there, you know, mm-hmm. and the, our local players are are, are are willing to do stuff like this. Um, you know, you don't have it ahead of time. They said, you know, put a deck on all the tables, and then at one table have the TO come over and just pull the random cards out for mm-hmm. this. And then, okay, guys, everyone, find these cards. Here's your scenario. And you can literally randomize your scenarios at a tournament using your open war cards that way, um, and, and no one no one's going to have any idea what's going to come up uh, against them at that point. Um, and you can even you can even make your own twists and adjustments that way with it. They even show you how to do a little bit of a tree campaign with it. Um, you know the tree campaign where. You know, at, you know, depending on who wins the battle, you can go left or right from there, and then who wins that battle, it can go left or right from there. It looks like a little bit of yeah. a pyramid. Um, they basically they introduced that in the handbook one. Yeah. Um, basically, what they say is to take those six spots, lay out your open war cards on all six spots, and let you and let the players who are playing know what they all are. So, 
I can see where these things go. And so if I win, I know which way I want to take, you know, which, which scenario I want to go to next. And, um, you know, just play it out that way. So you can see the scenarios ahead of time, um, but they're still using those cards to randomize it so you don't have to try to come up with all the scenarios. It, it, open war cards are a really, if you're not a good, if you're not great at coming up with your own scenarios, but you don't necessarily want to dig through the books or you don't have all the books to go and find all these scenarios, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's inexpensive. And, it's, and like you said, it's thousands of combinations can, you can come up with. Yeah, so it's a lot. Um, so the next thing that comes in under the open war section, not really, haven't gotten to narrative play yet, is Coalition of Death multiplayer games. Yeah, this is a section that it needed a little bit of help from GHB1. It needed a little more fleshing out, especially when we get to kind of like the highlight of this section. But with the Coalition of Death, it talks about how you can set up multiplayer games, whether that's team games or the ever popular triumph and treachery. Um, so, and it says, you know, this is definitely something that you can do. And if you get uneven numbers, you set up one guy is a role called a games master, uh, which for that is just, they are like an impartial judge. They set up the scenarios, they set up, uh, the train, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously they do encourage that player to participate, but sometimes you may not be able to. Right. So it's one of those things that it gives a role for everybody to do. And they, they flushed this out yeah, they a did lot. A great job with this. Um, they give you different ways to do it. And they say you can, and they even show you, they go, you can do it. By wounds, you can go go into points and go by you know with match play points to set mm-hmm. up your teams. Um, if you have, you know, if you're playing with like uh, four, they even show if you have four guys and each of you choose a grand alliance, then you can roll off and it'll it'll break you up into into you know who who allies chaos and and order never ally, but it, you can be chaos and destruction. I mean, uh, versus order and death, or you can be chaos and death versus order and destruction. So they can rally. They, they've all sorts of options, ways that you can see who gets teamed up with each other, who goes where. Um, they even say if you're going to play, if you have an odd number and someone doesn't want to be off on the side, if everybody wants to play, they say you can do sides that are uneven. They say just try not to have it be more than off by one, you know. Right. Three on two is okay. Four on two, well, just a little much. Yeah, go to three on three then, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some other cool things that they put in here that I did want to touch on. Um, If you're playing on a team, then no matter how many players are on your side, you need everyone has a general, but you have to pick one general to be the warlord. Um, Correct. And there's just a couple of rules for the warlord. First of all, if your team can't decide on something, if you disagree on a dis- on a, 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 a path to take, so to speak, uh, warlord has the final say. So that just keeps the game going. Um, also, rolling for initiative. Any role that the that the entire side, a single role that affects the entire side, has to make, the warlord makes. Mm-hmm. Um. 
And then they give uh, this cool thing they threw in called The Finest Hour. Yeah, this one. <laughs> I like this. This is a really interesting mechanic and will definitely make a lot more play in open and narrative play as opposed to like a team tournament environment. But it's pretty cool. Yeah, um, this is something so, I could see throwing into just if we're playing in the basement. Hey, you want to throw in Finest Hour? Especially yeah. if you're playing a big game. On a smaller game, mm-hmm. this could mess things up. You talk about people. A lot. Who, you talk about people who complain that a double turn can mess your game up. Yeah, this, this, would this be... can throw it into disarray. <laughs> but if you're playing like three or four K, mm-hmm. this this could you know if you're getting to APOC levels, this could work. Yeah, this is something. So essentially, what this do what this does is you have to determine what battle round that their finest hour is. So you roll a D3 and you add one to it. So on that battle round, at the start of that battle round, let's say it's battle round three, the general or the warlord's general heals D6 wounds at the start of that battle round. So it's not even your turn. It's the battle round. And then you can either roll a D6 or pick one of the effects that they have listed. And all of these effects are not like 10-inch bubbles or... 12 inch bubbles they're 24 inch bubbles because they're trying to cover a lot of the table like this is legit their finest hour this is one of the times i'd say you'd have to roll for it because if you could just pick this would break things oh yeah all right why don't you take number one on this and just give people an an idea so first of all your your war your warlord general so if you're on your team the warlord Mm -hmm. general gets to get d6 wounds back which means if you know this is coming you can shove him in the front and start fighting with him, hoping, knowing that this is coming, and he's going to get mm-hmm. some wounds back. And then you get this. So the first one, take it, Alex. So it's inspired leadership. So what this is is all units on that Warlords Coalition sets the whole team yep. that are within two feet of him in the battle shock phase can use his bravery instead of their own for purposes of battle shock test. So that's cool, especially if you're partner may have a lower leader no lower bravery army but suddenly getting to use like a nine or a ten off of something big and beefy is a big deal that's a two-foot bubble before other command abilities so there is also might help you when you're knowing that that could be something that comes up help you choose who the warlord should be right uh number two is the great push uh all once again units in the warlords coalition so basically everybody on your side Within two feet of the warlord at the start of the movement phase can run and still shoot and or charge in the same turn. So I can run and shoot and charge. Mm-hmm. All in that turn. That's called the great push. That's just sick. Now, a lot of your times, you guys who can shoot, you don't want them charging. In combat. In combat. But if, if it's desperate... If it needs to, and just the fact that I can run and shoot, get him up there, mm-hmm. get him shooting, run and charge, run and charge, just that is always wonderful. Yes, it is. All yes, right, it is. Um, so the third one is "Kill 'Em All." Um, does not come with a soundtrack or a CD. Um, you get to <laughs> add one to the wound rolls for units in your coalition that are within two feet of the warlord's general in a combat phase. So that makes up for a lot or 
makes good things better. Plus one to wound on top of any other things you might have that buff the wounds. I mean... Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously a one still fails, but... Yeah, but you can really get some stuff down to twos. Yeah, twos or threes for the weedy stuff. Yeah, so that's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, now, here's one of the few that doesn't have any sort of a bubble effect. Number four, Bloody Rampage just works for your general... Triple the attack characteristics of all the Warlord General's weapons. Yeah. So that's his finest hour. Mm-hmm. He's going to Braveheart it on you. He's running right out into the into the thick of things. So what's next? Uh, so last, next one is unkillable. So players from the opposing team must subtract two from the wound rolls for attacks made against uh, the general, the warlord's general, and in addition, the warlord's characteristic or save characteristic is improved to two plus. <laughs> so, not only is he really hard to wound, he now has a two plus save. And minus that's two before, to hit. Yeah, or minus two to wound. Minus two to wound, and it's just and for then, attacks made against a general. So it doesn't say in what phase. So you're shooting him, you're you're hitting him. Minus two to wound. That's just that's great, and he saves on the two plus. Mm-hmm. Now let me ask you this because you're you know the rules. Oh, if I have a save characteristic of two plus, okay. Now mm-hmm. ones always fail. However, I got a save characteristic of two plus. My lantern guy just gave me a plus one, and I'm standing in the forest. All right, you hit me and you wound with a two rend. What do I save on? Well, you save on a 2 plus and add modifiers. Right. So that goes from 2 to 1 to 0 back up to 2, right? I mean, that. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. So that 2 plus save, if you, yeah, he can, that can just be stupid. That can become really dumb really fast. For that, for that battle round, people are just like, yeah, I'm not even going to try to hit him. I'm just going to try to hit somebody else. Yeah. That's a smart move. Yeah. And then the final one is called Perfect Timing. Or as Jack Burton says, say, Cracker Jack Timing. Mm. One unit from the coalition that has been slain returns to the battle at the start of the hero Warlord's hero phase. Set it up wholly within 24 inches of the general and more than 9 inches away from enemy models. This doesn't count as its move. Yeah. And most summoning type mechanics say that once the unit comes on the table, it can't move again. This one is different. Yep. So that's now if in a team battle, a big team battle, this stuff. Now, I mean, like I said, the la, the the first three are are ridiculous. One through three, um, four and five, they really help out the general a lot. Uh, and then the six, I mean, bringing back a. A lost unit, especially if it's a big unit, can be crucial. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you've, you've plugged away at that stone horn and finally whittled him down, and they just bring him back on. Or you've taken out, um, you know, you've taken out a, just some big unit of whatever it is, you know, Varengard or, you know, whatever that you've just pummeled and pummeled and pummeled and pummeled. <laughs> and now it's back. This. Oh. So demoralizing, but that's so much fun. Um, so you fight the battle, 
And um, now it fights like team, like team battles fight. And this is something that I never realized until last year at Wapaka, and I had been playing it wrong. I don't play too many team battles. I don't have too, that. You know, we don't play that much. Is that um, you know when you uh, when you you, all, you basically do everything as a team, but you each get to do together. So when you deploy, it's not I put a unit. You our team puts a unit. Your team puts a unit. It's like our team. We each put a unit. You each put a unit down. Um, mm-hmm. When we when we uh, when we have combat, we each fight with one of our units. You each fight with one of your units. Yeah. So that's how that stuff works. Um, they threw in this fog of war thing, which I think is fun and very um, fluffy. Yeah. Now, I, for people looking at this, this you don't have to use any of these rules. This is your <laughs> sandbox. Play with the toys you want. Yes. So just don't don't think this is automatic <laughs> yeah. in you're playing team games. No, 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 no. But this is oh a yes, neat I can see, that you in can team add to tournaments. It. I see the fog of war being eliminated from most team tournaments. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, that what they said is in most battles, if you're on a real battlefield, you're sending things back and forth by messenger because you're nowhere near the other general. So to represent this, you can agree to either use both. Use either or both of the following rules. Can agree. It says right here, don't have to use it. Uh, You can only discuss strategy if your two models representing your generals are within three inches of each other with no enemy models within three inches of them. You can't discuss strategy if you're in the middle of fighting, right? Mm -hmm. You're fighting. Uh, And you have to be near each other. So if you're not near each other, you can't actually discuss strategy. If you want to discuss strategy... Uh, outside of three inches from each other, then you have to write notes. So basically, at the start of each uh, turn, you guys have five minutes to write notes to each other back and forth. Uh, You can just take out a notebook and write down. You have to have it all written, no verbal communication. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at the beginning of the charge phase, before any units charge, all players have two minutes to write down which of their units will charge in the phase. They must keep the choices secret from all other players, including players from their own team. This stops players from coordinating their attacks and may result in units getting in each other's way. So, yeah, you basically write them down, and then as you start declaring your attacks, you know, you basically declare them one at a time, and they don't know who's charging where or into what because you can't tell each other what you're doing. You just have to declare them and do them. Uh, It's a fog of war scenario. Once again, I think in the basement, this could be really fun. Yeah. Uh, It could add for some real crazy, what are you doing moments. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I would never put this in a tournament. No. No. But this is not meant for tournament play. This is meant for fun play. Yes. We can do that too. Yes, this is like open. (sighs) It is still in the open play sort of section. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing in uh, before you get to the uh, six Different scenarios, six battle plans, which we're not going to dive into all of them. You can look them up yourself. We're not going to go over each one. Is they have one more optional thing, which is called divine intervention. Right, and this is essentially like the gods themselves are intervening um, on behalf of your grand alliance. So how this works is at the start of a team's hero phase. The team's warlord can attempt to invoke divine intervention, and 
there's a criteria for each one of the Grand Alliances. So that's Order, Chaos, Death, and Destruction. And once the criteria is met, you have to roll 2d6. And if the roll is less than or equal to the Warlord's General's Bravery, then the Miraculous Effect goes off. Um, and you can only do this once per game successfully. Yeah. And the criterion usually makes sense uh, for for order. If half of the units, if half of your units are wiped out, are gone off the board, you know you're starting to lose. You start praying to Sigmar, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or whomever your god is, um, and then you get th- you get three bonuses. Yeah, for apiece. all of them, and they're all pretty good. The one thing that everyone gets the same one, the only one that's the same for all four. Alliances is it's called divine inspiration. So until your next, you're until the team's next hero phase. Uh, friendly units from that grand alliance don't take battle shock tests, and that's that's pretty big right there. Yeah, nobody's running. Your 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 very own patron god has come down to help you. You're mm-hmm. not running. Um, but there's I mean there's cool stuff here. Uh, death is actually the simplest one. If one death general dies, you can start that calling. That hits the trigger. Yeah. Uh, chaos. <laughs> chaos is actually the exact same thing as order, just in the opposite direction. Order, if half of our guys are dead, we can call on our gods. For destru- For chaos, if half of your guys are dead. <laughs> yeah, we can half call- the enemies. Yeah. Units are slain. The chaos gods aren't coming down to help us unless we've earned it. Mm-hmm. So they don't. Care. If we're dying, they're not coming down. You're not worth our time. If we're doing a whole lot of killiness, they may come down to grant us a bonus. Destruction seems to have. Destruction's got the rough of it. Um, so what this is is at least half of the units currently in the coalition are within three inches of enemy units. So, so you, gotta, you have to be already up in the Grizz doing some work before Gorka Marco decide to come down and say hello. Yeah. So you have to, yeah, literally I mean I suppose that I suppose if you're pushing it all forward and fighting, uh, you know, you can get half of your half of the army engaged in combat. You know. Yeah. I mean you're not gonna be calling for divine intervention before turns, you know, three probably anyway. Probably. And, these guys can get into combat pretty pretty effectively, but yeah, you got to get at least at least half your army's got to be fighting before anybody um is is going to come down and 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 help you out. So mm-hmm. that's that's coalition of death. That's team play and all the cool stuff that you can do with it. Um, you know what? Let's let's uh. Let's quick break. Yeah, and then we'll talk about the coolest section in the book. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that, definitely. Because this is this is awesome. So let's quick break, and then a little triumph and treachery when we get back. This is Belagar Iron Hammer, and you're listening to Garage Hammer. Now, where did that master engineer go to with my beer? And we are back, talking a little bit of triumph, but mostly treachery. Oh, yeah. 
thank goodness that this section made it and they've done it up right. If you've played the 8th edition version of Triumph and Treachery, this is going to look really familiar, but it is like butter smooth. This section really, it's a standout for this whole book for me is Triumph and Treachery. They cleaned it up. They made it work. It's brilliant. It really is. Um, and in fact, after reading this, I was so uh, I was so excited about how well this came off that when we saw that GW put out the web exclusive fancy edition for this book with all the extra stuff, I yeah. kind of went. I don't necessarily need all that. Wait, Triumph and Treachery cards. Mm-hmm. They are awesome. And so I'm I was looking like, at mine right now. <laughs> oh, you got them, huh? I did get the uh, Warlord edition. So, but I mean, you don't really need the cards. But they certainly do help. Uh, see, when did you when did you get yours? When did it come in? Um, I might have gotten it yesterday. Oh, very nice, very nice. Yeah, uh, I had my uh, friendly uh, local game store order it. And um, I found out yesterday that it hadn't even shipped yet. Mm. So she was yeah. like, she called me and she's like, you're not going to have it tomorrow. I'm like, I, ha- I have the book. Like, I don't need any of that stuff. I just really wanted it. But I actually, I, I went out and ordered the special edition mm-hmm. just to, because I really wanted the Triumph and Treachery cards. Like, Yeah. And the Warlord edition has got some cool other things in there, too, oh, sure. like a turn counter and victory points counters. And some markers, but that's besides the point. Triumph and Treachery is here, and it's... Okay, so let's just start with the easy, like, basic stuff. This is multiplayer games. Up to, like, six, seven people can... Or up to six can do Triumph and Treachery. So for this one, you may want to do, like, smaller... If you're playing, like, a points level, do maybe smaller points games... Because there's going to be a lot of stuff going on in these games. Yeah, we, I don't think I've ever played TNT over a thousand. Yeah, and that's that's and that probably was, about what I would recommend too. That was crowded, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so for how this works is you have to take the rules and make some modifications. So when it requires a roll off, all players have to roll a dice and re-rolling. So. Everyone has to participate in that. But with the winners, unless it says otherwise, they get to determine the order in which actions are carried out for all of the players that took part. So that's deciding who chooses territories, whose turn it is. You don't have to pick you to go first in the battle round. You can pick somebody else, but you get to pick the order. So the roles to go first are a very big deal in Triumph and Treachery. Right. So, um, yeah, so that first roll-off, yeah, you're determining who places... I mean, yeah, I mean, and especially if you're playing a five-player game and that board's getting crowded, that first roll-off, determining the order of who places their armies in what order is probably one of the biggest ones in the game. Mm-hmm. Because if I win that roll-off, I, I am picking the entire order. Determining the turn order, once we get into that, that's a little different. You know, yeah. because if I win the roll, then I get to decide whose turn it is, which is usually going to be mine, because, you know, unless I'm trying to hold off. Um, 
But then once my turn's over, if I choose me, everybody else rolls, and then the winner determines from the remaining people whose turn it is, and then they keep doing that. With you know, Once you've had your turn, you're out of the roll. Everybody else rolls until everybody's had their turn, um, which becomes a little more fair. It's not like I won the turn roll. I'm determining the turn order for the entire first battle round. Mm-hmm. Um, but that placement order and that roll is kind of big. Because um, right off the bat, people can start, you know, you know, start wheeling and, and dealing. Although you don't have any points to to, to deal with, you know, you're, you're the guy who's sitting there looking at what people have, and it's like, okay, if I pick you to play second, will you place next to me, or you know, I'll let you play second, but don't place next to me, you know? Okay, that's cool. You know, you can and then start. they place next to you, and then yeah, and and then you've set the tone for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's. So, with regards to turn order, and like when you're in your turn, for each phase of your turn, you need to declare an enemy. And this is straight out of last edition Triumph and Treachery. Yep. So, and it gives you a list of all the different things you can do during a turn, during a phase, when it regards to enemy. And if there's other players on the table that are not your enemy, they're considered neutral. So there's a few other rules for being neutral that we'll go over in just a little bit. But essentially, you can't do anything to neutral models for that phase. So for hero phase, only enemy models can attempt to unbind spells. And neutral models are never affected by spells, even if they are within the radius of a spell effect. So if the spell is like within 12 inches, you take D3 mortal wounds. Nope. It's only the enemy you pick. So that matters. Yeah, you had a good example last uh, last night when you said uh, the uh, the Lord Heralder with the you know, blowing the horn and oh and, toot toot yeah if you got two or three different uh, guys all on one piece of terrain only the enemy that you choose is going to be affected all the other guys they're just standing around they don't nothing happens to them mm-hmm. so that's good then you get to the movement phase. Neutral models are treated as enemy models in the movement phase. So right. in the uh, so you pick an enemy for your movement phase, but neutral models are treated as enemy models for the sake of movement, meaning that you can't get within three inches of them, basically. You can't get within three inches of the enemy. So they're neutral. You can't do anything to them. You can't affect them if you have anything that affects other models in the movement phase. But you still, just because they're neutral and they're not your enemy and they don't count as being there doesn't mean I can suddenly slide in closer to three inches. You basically can't cheat your way into combat because they're neutral. Right. Which is a good call. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, um, go ahead. Shooting is kind of the same thing. You can only select uh, targets uh, that are enemy units for shooting attacks. And it's the same principle with magic. If weapons affect miles within a certain certain distance of a target point so that includes like the knight heraldor or the lord celestin on a dracoth they don't affect neutral models so they're only affecting enemy models uh and then the charge phase uh the first model moved from a charging unit must finish the charge within a half inch of an enemy model so you got to get up close to the enemy when you charge so there Mm -hmm. you are and uh, okay, combat. Yep. If your models are within three inches from any opposing armies, 
then you have to choose one of those armies to be the enemy. So you have to fight somebody is what it boils down to. And then attacks are only made between models from your army and models from the enemy army. So neutral models don't get to fight in the combat phase and just period. And you don't get to hit them. So it's only you and the person you declare as your enemy. Which can come up later can be actually really kind of strategic uh, at points. Mm -hmm. If you're engaged on multiple fronts, choosing who you want to fight and when. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in the Battleshock phase, this is interesting. Um, All units, including neutral units, will take Battleshock tests if they took any casualties. So just because you're neutral doesn't mean you're immune to Battleshock. Um, the player whose turn it is still has to pick uh, an enemy, however, because in case any of their models have any abilities that affect enemy units. So if, if during Battleshock, you know, the enemy suffers this or the enemy suffers that, so you still have to pick an enemy, even mm-hmm. though everybody's taking Battleshock tests. Um, right, and just because you're not the enemy for that phase doesn't mean you haven't suffered casualties earlier in the round. Right. Or earlier in the player turn. And neutral players can use abilities that affect units from their own army in this phase. So, And just because you're neutral doesn't mean you don't get your abilities. Um, a great example, um, uh, you know, one of mine is, you know, my, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, I start on my hero phase. I always use my, uh, my Lord Celestine's uh, ability to uh, anyone, anyone in my army within 24 inches doesn't take battle shock tests. Mm-hmm. So I get that off, boom, until my next hero phase. Anyone within 24 inches doesn't take Battleshock. Okay, I'm neutral. Well, you're neutral, so you. Well, my I, get, I still can use my abilities that affect my models. In if, if, I have, if I have an ability that affects models in the Battleshock phase, even if I'm neutral, they still work. Mm-hmm. As, long as, as long as I use them, you know. It's, but so that you don't, just because you're neutral doesn't mean they don't, you don't get to use them, so... Mm-hmm. They, they they covered all bases with this. It it, it, they did. it yeah it worked just fine. Um, so let's so you you get victory points. Yeah, and this is how you win the game. It's not by removing models or anything like that. The each scenario or battle plan. I got to keep use. I got to work use that word more. But for each battle plan, it will give you how you earn VPs. And it's obviously the player at the end of a triumphant treachery battle, whoever has the most VPs, is the winner. Um, and they say you can use like a ledger, like pieces of paper, or coins, or something like that, whatever you feel is appropriate to represent the VPs. And they're not secret, so you know what everyone has. And you can use victory points to bribe other players to do things. Yep. If you remember in the old game, you got gold for stuff. Here, you just get victory mm-hmm. points. So you can buy off players, and there are no real rules around this. Uh, no. I can give you victory points, and you can make promises, and it literally says in the book, um, note that deals and arrangements are struck before victory points are handed over are not binding, so be careful that you don't give away tokens to a player you can't trust to honor their end of the deal. Um, it is triumph and treachery after all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it says, it's funny here. Note that the deals and arrangements are that are struck before the victory points are handed over are not binding. 
implying that they're binding after the victory points are handed over. Um, honestly, they're not. It, I mean, it even says it later. Be careful that you don't give away tokens to a player you can't trust to honor their end of the deal. Meaning that if I give them, yeah, dude, they're not. They're not binding. <laughs> People lie all the time in this game. That's the tr- that that's that's the point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's that's part of the thing. It, at what point can you just turn around and say, yeah, I know I said that, but I'm not going. You know, you're going to get backstabbed. It happens. Um, and as far as victory points earning goes, there's in most of these scenarios, there's three ways to earn them. Um, there's the scenario, the different scenario in each battle plan. There's, you know, a victory condition that will earn you points. Um, there's something called a secret objective, which is optional, which we'll talk about that we get to. And it's like if you earn your secret objective, you earn that victory points. And then you also get a victory point in each of uh, one victory point is scored in each phase for every five wounds you inflicted in that phase. So you do get mm-hmm. points for being killy. Um, yep. You know, this is Warhammer. But um, those are the three ways. Now, there's also treachery points. Now, you used to get the cards. Yeah, and those game. were – it was a bit of a clunky mechanic because a lot of these cards that you would get – I mean, they're all random off the deck, but a lot of them you couldn't use or really didn't have an effect, so you kind of had to cycle through. But it always felt like you kind of got stuck with it at a certain point depending on what your army was or what your opponent's armies were. Yeah, none of the you cards always, were necessarily bad, but if you did – like, I mean, you know – Oh, there's a penalty to shooting and nobody around you. You know, there's sometimes you just, yeah, there was nothing you could use it for. Yeah. And so you were stuck trying to dump cards. Um, yeah. yeah. They eliminated that. So essentially what happens now is you accrue treachery points instead of cards. And then as you accumulate points, you can spend them to try to do treacherous acts and there's a whole table of all the different things you can do and there are looks like 12 of them yep that you can do and you can do these whenever the condition is met like timing wise for each of the treacherous acts and you spend and each one of these treacherous acts has a certain number of treachery points that it costs from like one to two and you just spend those points, and you have to roll a 4-plus to get it to go off. You can also spend additional treachery points to reduce that number, or to add one to your roll, up to a maximum of 2. Yeah. So That's actually a big difference. Before, you just played the card, and it happened. Now, it, it's a 50-50 if it happens. Before but, you spend more. But you can spend more to basically make the odd. You can get a, you know, basically a... On a two plus, it works. Mm-hmm. Um, now, getting those treachery points is actually not that difficult. Um, no, at the start of the battle round, so the whole battle round, the person who is in the lead gets one treachery point. The person who is in last place gets three, and everybody else gets two. Mm-hmm. So, at the start of the game, basically everybody gets two, right? Because you know, they're all tied. Now, then. In each phase, you know, like when it, it's, it actually works just like the, the old cards. the old game work, except you had to roll a dice to get a card. Remember that? Because you used to have mm-hmm. to roll a dice to see if you got a card. In this game, uh, now, um, and it, it still actually works that way. Um, it, I pick the enemy, 
in the face, and uh, all the neutral players roll a d6, and on a six, you get another treachery point. Or it's a five in a three-player game. Yeah, in a three. Yeah. Um, so, so then you just start stockpiling your treachery points, mm-hmm. and then um, use them as you wish, and they're great. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's always one you can use. And that's the best part about it is you can just keep using, you know, you could you don't have to hope you get the card you want as long as you've got, I mean, like I said, the most expensive. There's a dozen here and one, uh, four of them are a point, eight of them are two points. So they're not, like I said, so the most you're going to be paying is four points if you want to have it go off on a two plus. Yeah, for one of the big ones. Um, now there are a couple of rules. If uh, if you're doing, if you try to do something that sets off the ability for me to do the treachery, you can't just change your mind and say I'm not doing it anymore. Um, a, you can't say I'm not doing it anymore so that you avoid the treachery. And B, uh, there's other things like because one of them is uh, when a wizard is nominated to cast a spell, so you say I'm going to cast this. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I can spend treachery points and make you automatically fail. Yeah. Well, the rule of one, now you just, not only did your wizard use up one of his spells, but now you can't try to cast that spell again. So to say, okay, fine, he failed, but uh, I, I didn't, I'm not casting that spell, you know. It, it, right. It, it's, it's, it's been burned. Yeah, and with the rules of one, that's only in match play. So you can use it in open play if you want, but you can still have another wizard cast the same spell later but the big thing is if you only have one wizard on that particular enemy's army that shuts down their magic phase their magic part of their hero phase completely or it forces your opponent to use a different wizard to cast a spell that maybe they didn't want to cast from that guy right so it's got a lot more manipulation to it as opposed to prevention but it's still a really good mechanic um to stop wizards or there's one here and there it is um when you when a unit takes a battle shock test you can subtract two from the unit's bravery when it goes off so you can manipulate it doesn't say it has to be your enemy it's just a unit so wording is important Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you you can be the neutral player and just mess up other people. Mm-hmm. Um, heck, if I don't have any treachery points, but I've got victory points, can somebody please try to mess up his battle shock test or mess this up? Um, one of my personal favorites, and I know it winds up being situational, is the very first one. Um, it says when used when you are selected as the enemy player in a phase, uh, mm-hmm. it costs two, but you can make them pick somebody else. So if you've got four on a two-up, they have to pick somebody else. The thing which is great is if, let's say, they're going around and you're the only person that they can pick for that option, um, you can use this and say uh, you have to pick somebody else. If there's nobody else they can pick, then everybody's neutral for the round. They just, right. They're out of luck. Um, mm-hmm. So you can, you can basically shut down. If you're the only option in a phase for an enemy... And you have treachery points. You can shut down your opponent's entire phase for that phase. Um, mm-hmm. That's fantastic. That really is. 
Um, especially in the hero phase. You chose me in the hero phase. Now pick somebody else. Uh, and I suppose you can always pick somebody else in the hero phase, but maybe there's nobody else in range for magic. Yeah, especially for damage spells. Yeah, so they got to pick somebody else, and it's like, oh, well, now I can't cast any spells. You know, you can you can really mess. I like this chart a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing is the optional secret objectives. Um, right. There's two of them that can get you one. Or one you know, well, actually, there's one that will earn you just one victory point. It's pretty simple to get. One is one to two victory points. There's a couple that are two, and there's a couple that are three victory points. Uh, and basically, if you guys agree, you can do the secret objective, uh, and it just basically says roll a d6, mark down what you got, and mm-hmm. um, when the obje- objective is achieved, reveal the hidden dice to the other players. And score the appropriate number of victory points. So basically it says, roll the dice in secret and cover it up and just keep it off to the side. And when you get it, show them the dice. I mean, you can do it however you want to do it. but Yeah, and then you generate another secret objective. So it's not like once you use it, you can't get more points from secret objectives. You get to generate a new one, and it may be completely different from what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't dump them. They're not like cards. No. Once you get a secret objective, that's what you get. So... Um, you know, you roll them up. You can't just, that's why you have to roll them up. There's no option to pick really in this one. Yeah. You roll it up, you do it. And that's why the, the whole, that's why this one's optional because I could see people being like, "Ugh, you know what, you know, uh, if I roll one that I can't do and then everybody else is, you know, racking up the secret objective points, that wouldn't be fun for me. So it's optional. Um, I, I, I've been looking at them. They seem like they might be fun. I don't know. Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't played triumph and treachery and the new rules yet enough to know if i want to do secret objectives or not i just kind of want to play triumph and treachery absolutely this will get a lot of play and it'll definitely be one of those after hours gaming type things Mm -hmm. that it really should be and it's easier than what it was before yes not super convoluted it's not all over the place and the battle plans that they include in this book are really well written and they're themey, but they're not like overtly themey. And then, as if that wasn't enough, you can do a triumph and treachery nap campaign. Yeah. Now this is for hardcore triumph and treachery lovers because really, in th- okay, it's super simple. If you guys remember Mighty Empires, they have treacherous empires, mm-hmm. and what they did was they actually took a realm of battleboard, set it up with nice pieces of terrain, named each fancy piece or each fancy little section on the map named it a, an area and so you got 12 areas on the map okay all the players vote on where they want to uh where they want to uh play first okay mm-hmm. and what they did was they set up 12 places and each place and this this is going to take some creativity from the players who want to do this okay they got 12 places on the map uh, if you win a game of Triumph and Treachery at that place, you control that place, and then you get whatever bonus that place gives you for the duration of Triumph and Treachery. Mm-hmm. Okay? So here's this list. Everyone gets you know some sort of a small bonus for that place. Um, so everybody votes where they want to go. If you can't agree or, or there's no majority vote, uh, do, a, do one of the Triumph and Treachery roll-offs, and the winner picks the place. Okay, 
So you play mm-hmm. a game of Triumph and Treachery, and basically what they said was the first person to control three territories wins. Now, the way they had it set up was they had a six-player game. So mm-hmm. what they set up was they had double the number of players in places you could get. So mm-hmm. uh, with six players, they had 12 places that you could play in. So you technically could wind up with everybody having two places. Three places wins you the game. Two places, you know, you could wind up with a, t- a tie after right. that. Um, three pace, places, when I first read it, three three victories seemed like, well, only three out of, tw- you only got to win three out of 12. That seems really simple. It's but, not with Triumph and Treasury. Uh, that's the thing, because I was going to go and wait. I was thinking Mighty Empires, you know, I just got to mm-hmm. win three games. Like, that's, but no, it's not just three games. Try to win Triumph and Treachery three times in a row against the same group when three times in a row is, like, the objective. You win once, they may come after you. You win twice, you will be selected as the enemy for everything. Every mm-hmm. treachery point is coming at you. Yeah. You are going to – until until a couple other people start to win a couple games and it looks like other people – you know, until things start to level out – Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, it may not be fun for you personally, it, but here's the thing. If you've already won two games and you're on the brink of winning, you got no room to, to, to complain if right. suddenly the treachery gets all up in your face. Yeah, and it keeps the campaign from running away. Right. And so much from running away with it. This is it's kind of an internal mechanics this way. At the end of the day, anybody can win it realistically because of how it's kind of like munchkin yeah in that way it's just as soon as somebody gets the little nine oh no we gotta screw that guy yeah i can't let him win and then it's a matter of timing so and honestly sometimes especially let's face it okay so i've won two i'm way out in the lead and suddenly we get a game where they they're everyone's dogpiling on you yes on that particular game you your army is not having fun. You're kind of losing, but you know if you're with the right group of four or five guys, mm-hmm. and you're playing Triumph and Treachery. First of all, the smack talk in Triumph and Treachery gets heavy. Yes, and the dice roll. Everything that's happening is getting heavy. I mean, I'm just picturing. I'm sitting there. You and I, Alex, and like Rotor and Brasca are there. Uh, let's throw in, you know, maybe uh, an Adam Salmon or, um, you know, something like that. You know that even when you're getting dumped on, you're going to be having a good time. Like, this game is just getting silly, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. It's just plain fun is what it is. Yeah. I I could see a Triumph and Treachery campaign happening at... At a Friday night Warhammer, hey, let's let's try this and and playing some Triumph and Treachery a few weeks in a row, or even let's you know maybe every every couple of weeks, you know, we'll just keep it on the back burner. We've got the map, we've got the games, we'll keep track of it. You don't have to play that every week because it's not like it's a super stra- It's not like playing Mighty Empires where you've got all this strategy and you've got to take the tiles and you're really mm-hmm. stra- it's, no. It's just like okay, well, who has what at this point? You know, I mean it's. You you can really just play that every couple of weeks when yeah. you all get together, 
and still keep that campaign going because it's not like it's not like um, there's it's not like you're playing diplomacy, you know. Yeah, and there's not a lot of bookkeeping. It's just tracking who won. Yeah, because none of the victory points carry over. None of the treachery points carry over. No, so. it's just which which uh, which city did you win? Okay, we're not, we can't play in that city again. He's got it, and he gets this bonus now. So it's like literally one small thing to keep track of. So even if you want to run one and you only play that once a month in your gaming club and the other three weeks of the of the month you're playing other games, you can totally play this. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the coolest things about it is that you don't need a, a, a real sharp timeline and a lot of bookkeeping to do this particular game. Right. So that's Triumph and Treachery. And that's the whole set of the open war, so for or for the open play. So for a section that a lot of people gloss over, that's a lot of content. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. Thirty-seven pages of open play stuff. Um, that's just totally not part of the the narrative play section or the match play section. All right, so um, you know what? Break time, and mm-hmm. then we'll come back and we'll talk. Narrative play is actually a short section. It's a much shorter section than I thought it would be. Yeah, I mean it is. It is. It is almost criminally short. But there are some cool things in here. We'll go through that quick, and then we'll uh, and then we'll get into a little bit about the match play before before we wrap up for the show for today. So uh, we'll be back. Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. And we are back talking narrative play from the General's Handbook. Yes, yes. Now, this section is a lot smaller than what it was in the first handbook. It's Um, literally 27 pages. So this is now the smallest section. Yeah. But obviously Path to Glory became its own book, so it kind of evens out. But with narrative, it's about telling a story. It's not necessarily about being the most competitive or anything like that. This is where you're going to see a lot of like historical refights for scenario for battle plans or wars from 
like the Realmgate Wars series or from the different Black Library books if you want to do it that way. Or you're going to create a story for you, or, for you and your opponent to play. And this is more about telling that narrative versus winning or losing. Right. So you're directing a movie is essentially what it is. Yep. And it's, you know, it's a short section, and I know, um, you know you've got a lot of guys who are big into narrative gameplay. You've got that whole narrative event organizers thing. We did the coalition thing a few months back. Um, narrative play is a weird thing. And I don't mean that in mm-hmm. a bad way. It is literally in this tiny little space between matched play and open play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's part of why it sort of winds up in this small section of the book, especially once you take out Path to Glory. Path to Glory is a lot, you know, uh, you know, if you're playing a, a, um, a growth league at your local game store where you start off with, you know, 500 points and then you play and then you keep adding points every month, that's mm-hmm. a great... Uh, that's great. That's fertile ground for narrative play. As you start bringing in units, maybe you know, doing little regiments or renown type stuff, giving bonuses and things like that to stuff. Um, but literally, you got two pages here where they talk about narrative play, and it's it's literally just saying what you said, where it's all about stories. Whether you're recreating things, finding you know battle plans, and and coming up with army lists. Um, it talks about. Uh, in fact, one of the best parts, the only limitation to a narrative game are those of the narrative itself, which you get to create. Small and large armies, one-off games, campaigns, simple or complex additional rules. All the parameters are up to you and your opponent, ensuring the games you play build on and support the legend of your collections. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they give you some ideas. You know, they, there's a little box here, Forging the Narrative, and talks about... Uh, you know, there's already a lot of great stuff. If you go to the Realmgate Wars, I mean, how many how many Black Library books have they put out now? You know, uh, I read this thing. <laughs> I read this thing, and it was awesome. Uh, dude, what about that whole fight where, what's his name, was it Gardas was trying to get out of Nurgle's garden? Yeah, Gardas going through the garden, being chased by the great unclean one. Um, so we could, you know, you just... Take that an idea and start to run with it and change it a little bit. I mean, okay, uh, Brandon plays Nurgle. Well, let's say, okay, you've got all your Nurgle junk. I'm going to take a small elite force and see how long they can last against this. Now, we're going to take all sorts of stuff. We're going to make the terrain all messing with my guys. You know, we'll have little spots where I can do this, and we'll have little times during the game where I can do little prayers to the gods you know, saying my, my, only the faithful, you know, only the, you know, saying these little things which will give me little bonuses and help my guys through at per, certain Yeah, you know, I just made up a narrative story right there. I'm not mm-hmm. worried about points. I'm not worried about this. I'm not worried about that. And uh, how do we win? Uh, the, the, my victory is dependent on how many rounds I last because I won't last. Mm-hmm. Because the, the, the odds are too stacked against me in this game. And it goes on a, on a how many rounds you last sort of thing. Boom. I just. And I literally just made that up off the top of my head while yeah, we were sitting we did. there. Because we didn't actually do that in the last show. We didn't even mention that. No. Um, but that's, I mean, that's what this is talking about. And that's kind of why it's so short. Because it's like, hey, go go find something and run with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the sections they have here is talking about, like, themed armies. Which we kind of do that as it is going to events. We want our armies to look cohesive and all that stuff. But it's about taking 
but different parts, telling a story with it and making it look cohesive, whether that's creating unique iconography for your army, if it's a comet over a dwarf helmet for like a Dwarden and Stormcast mix, or if it's a lightning bolt on a tree, like there's just, there's no limit to it, but it's just trying to encourage you to make it cohesive. And the easiest way to do that, aside from like a common color scheme is common basing with how you base your models. Yep. I really like this. I mean, it's only two pages here for themed armies, but I like that they addressed it. Like, Mm -hmm. Hey, listen, if you're playing narrative, you know, find your unit or your character model or something, some whatever this idea is that you have, start with that and then start building around it. What would they draw to them? What would follow them in the story? Uh, and it could be two different, uh, uh, you know, factions, you know, right. like you said, uh, you know, Stormcast and, and, and Dwarden or, or um, you And know, it doesn't even have to be Grand Alliance stuff. It could be... Death and order working together to fight chaos. So it's there's no limit to it. You could do Neferata and the Anvils of the Heldenhammer fighting against a Slanesh host. There's nothing yep. wrong with that. As long as the basing is consistent, which is what they harp on. But it's or you could even do two different storm hosts fighting together. Because that doesn't happen at all. Even though it <laughs> happens very frequently. So it's just yeah, taking so you got two different paint schemes. Find something that's similar. Um, and like you mentioned with mm-hmm. the banners that they mentioned, if, that's a great way, especially if you're going to a tournament, to have these guys with banners. And not everything has banners. It's not like before where every unit has a banner. But if you have some right. banners or if you decide to, um, if you decide to add some, I mean, there's nothing that says you can't put a banner in a Stormcast unit list, you know, or put a back banner on them, as you've seen in some of these, you know. um, All the different conversions. Right. And suddenly, you know, oh, this guy's carrying a banner that has, like you said, uh, you know, the twin-tailed comet over some trees. Or have the actual, you know, thing look like it's tree branches that are holding the banner, you know, Sigmar's Mm. banner, something like that. Um, anything that starts to link these two disparate forces together, and I hadn't even thought about all of that stuff yet, and it's like, okay, and suddenly your narrative isn't just in your story, um, because every battle plan is a story. I think Chris Tomlin brought that up. What's the difference between... You know, Matt. If, if I'm if I'm counting if I'm playing a narrative game, but I'm bringing X, you know, let's bring points. Like you have a narrative event, everybody bring X amount of points. You know, doesn't I mean, Alex? You run tournaments. You you every event has a scenario, so mm-hmm. every event is technically got a story. It's technically narrative. You know, yeah. so where's what's the difference? Well, it's how narrative are you going to get? And it, they're really. These, these two little pages kind of push that it's every if you really if you're going full narrative mm-hmm. and I know some people not everybody goes not everybody goes full narrative um, no you want to go with your you know, make your army into the narrative mm-hmm. have that a part of it um, theming your table to the narrative yeah. 
Um, and not everybody can do that. I mean, not everybody has access to. I mean, you look at these GW things, and they're gorgeous. I mean, and you always mm-hmm. have every table matches every beautiful thing. Of course, they have access to all their own terrain and all their own stuff, so it's it's a little easier. Um, but try to come up with something. You know, come up with these ideas. They're 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 fun. You're also not limited by your six by four board. Yeah, you could put two six by fours together and do the beast run scenario from the Rome Gate Wars, and it's in this book too. So yeah, they went there's... two foot by eight foot, but I would like to see that. I I want to do this beast run, but I, and I have that Realm of Battle board. I want to do this beast run and do it to full on, like even longer. Just go mm-hmm. stupid with it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's kind of where we're at for like the theme aspect. And they talk about times of war, which is we've seen these in the Realm Gate Wars. And what essentially these are is extra rules for your battle plan based on the mortal realm that you're in is the seven examples that they give us here. And obviously you can create your own or modify these, but these are the seven examples that they give us so this to is, represent the mortal realms that you're fighting in. Yeah, this is actually the board sort of messing with you. It's not the actual mm-hmm. terrain, but this is the world itself and the changes that are happening because of where you're at. This is, the, this is actually kind of the coolest bit that's in here. Of the I mean, narrative. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you've never played narrative, the other stuff, the, the information is good. Um, we've already done a lot of that personally, you and I, so we already knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is some cool ideas. Uh, other than the, you know, there's once again, there's six really, you know, there's six interesting battle plans in there for this. Mm-hmm. But this time of war rules are pretty, uh, are pretty, pretty hip. Why don't you, why don't you uh, talk about what, at least one of them? Yeah, so we'll talk about. Um We'll just do Akshi, which is the Realm of Fire. So the following rules apply. Uh, Clouds of smoke and steam. So terrain features other than open ground and hills are wreathed in smoke and steam. And a model cannot see targets that lie beyond that terrain feature because there's smoke and steam in the way. So providing additional cover, blocking shooting. Uh, Speaking of which, next one is flaming missiles. So missiles burn with a magical fire as they streak through the superheated air. Add one to the to-wound rolls of attacks made in the shooting phase. If the range to the target is 20 inches or more, this is you want to be further away to get the bonus, but you may not be able to see that far away based on the terrain. So it's kind of plus and minus there. And then all wizards get an additional spell based on the mortal realm that you're in. So if you're in Akshi, which is the realm of fire, you get Fireball, which is not the beverage, but um, it's just a mortal wound range spell, which you can do. And the Collegiate Arcanum guys have this as one of their options. So it's a little extra something. Some of them are pretty tame. Like, Akshi is actually pretty tame, comparatively speaking. But then you look at Gur, which is the realm of beasts, it Everyone get, needs to set up an additional monster on the table that randomly starts to hit armies. Okay. Yeah. And honestly, these in the book, they give you two or three little things that happen. There's always something extra for wizards. There's always an extra spell. 
There's always some extra, uh, you know, terrains messing with you, and then something else. These are really actually quite tame compared to the time of war things that show up in the Realm Gate Wars books, the big Realm mm-hmm. Gate Wars books. Those are big two-page foldouts for each realm, and there's a lot of stuff um, happening in those. Lots of rules, lots of things happening. And all of that adds to the flavor of your game. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally really like Time of War rules. Uh, it's it's not you know it's not necessarily great for for matched play type stuff, but for 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 this type of play for for play that's you know more narrative or open, having this you know where you are is going to affect. Your ability to fight, you know? Are you fighting in mm-hmm. snow? Are you fighting in the desert? Are you fighting in the rain? Are you fighting here, there, or other places? Yeah, so that's going to affect it, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's going to happen. Um, it's 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 uh, it's kind of like when back in 7th when we used to play and people used to throw in those little quirks at your tournament. Oh, it's, you know, it's night out. Or it's night out, so you're... Shooting can't uh, can't shoot as far because it's hard to see people. Yeah, or, all the different scenario rules. Yeah, weird little scenario things that popped up like that. Um, now it's just more random. I mean, more. I mean, more of them and uh, more variety. And they would clump them into groups by theme because you have mm-hmm. all these different realms. I really, I, I, I have fun with them. Um, we've used them before at the store. Let, hey, you want to try some time of war rules? It, yeah, but. Yeah. Let's go for it. You know, why not? Let's give it a try. Um, sometimes they really mess with you. Sometimes they help you. But that's... I'm Okay, I'm a big Fog of War fan. You know, like you mm-hmm. can't... Like, like things don't... It's not chess. Things mess with you. And mitigating that, you know... There, there's. I know there's different ways to approach tabletop wargaming. Different people have different ways that they approach it. I've always been the have fun sort of guy, and you know, winning is always a, a, it's it's good. I like to win. Like at tournaments, yes, mitigate that stuff. Don't bring all that stuff into it because I'd like to have a, as even a playing field as I can because I, I'm pitting my skill against the guy across the table from me, and I don't necessarily want too much of this stuff. But when we're hanging out and playing. Yeah, no, I like Fog of War. I like not knowing what the other guy's thinking. I like uh, having things that come up that I can't control. Uh, Things that are going to throw a monkey wrench into the works. Things that are going to add a wrinkle and a twist. Because, honestly, the game goes on for a couple hours. But then later, when you're hanging out with your buddies after the game, uh, you know, Christopher would come over here and we would play a game. But then after we put the game away... We'd be sitting around watching a movie or, or playing Xbox or ordering some food or, or painting models later. And the conversations that come up afterwards last way past the length of the game. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's these types, these narrative games, these things where, where, where wonky stuff happens. That's where you have the conversations. You know, we, I don't... I don't really have conversations about, hey, you know, remember that game where I tabled you if I turned two and really just <laughs> there was, I mean, I mean, sometimes you'll say that you know, if you're if you're teasing your if you're teasing somebody, you know, right? That's different, you know. Or remember that time we first started playing AOS and we weren't quite certain how to do things, and I accidentally t- took a force that just was totally out of line and. 
I, you know, we didn't have all the rules of one yet, so I summoned up like eight thousand things on turn one, and nobody had any fun. Remember that? Like nobody has. I that. do remember that game. <laughs> but we don't. That's not a game we sit and, t- and when you you don't talk about it. When you do talk about it, the conversation goes about as long as ours just did. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. You were a jerk. Oh, okay. You know. Yeah. So it's these kind of games that are the ones that we remember and that we have fun and 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 these are the these are the battles that stories are told from, you know? As you're telling a story with the battle. Yeah. So I like this stuff a lot. I really enjoyed the time of war. I love these these Rome Gate. I love the the battle plans that they've included from the Rome Gate wars. Um and you know what? Every once in a while you'll get a clunker. And I think mm-hmm. that I think that's worth mentioning. Um, I remember one, and I think I think uh, Heelenhammer was talking about one. They went to a tournament. They used it. It's the one where the storm happens, and you roll a dice, and it moves the line on the battlefield or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was in one of the first Realm Gate Wars books, dude. That one's a clunker. <laughs> it is because you roll the dice to push that thing, and if you get that thing pushed to the edge, you kind of win, and suddenly. That becomes the whole game and where you are on the board and what's happening. None of that matters. It becomes pushing that line, um, and it is. It, it just it 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 wasn't very fun. I've played it. It, I, I, it wasn't very fun. But you know, you get a clunker every once in a while. That's part of coming up with narrative campaigns. Um, one of the great parts about you know writing up a camp a narrative uh idea and and playing it uh with your friends down is if things start to get a little off you can make fine adjustments if you have to you know mm-hmm. as long as the story's going good and, and you're having fun that's what's important um but that's actually about all they have for um with the time of war and that now there is one more section for narrative campaigning, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> um, so that is Siege. Um, now, we've had this before in previous uh, editions, whether that was in the General's Compendium or any other updates and erratas and stuff like that where you could fight Siege games. And they always felt clunky and kind of slow and just never really measured up to the potential. But with Siege now, it's it's actually really well written. I'm a little hesitant to it just based on past experiences, but this is something that you should definitely be looking at. If you like Siege games, I think you'll like this. It's very different. It's very different um, from old Siege games. Um, I remember in old Siege games, you had to batter down the walls or things like that. They had wounds to take and to destroy um didn't they didn't they didn't that used to have that i i and you used to have to the pay thing points is i try to block those games out i remember you had to pay points for what you had like you like part of that was i paid points for my like if i was the defender i remember paying points for my castle walls and like what i was putting up as my defense and you were buying the siege catapults and the siege you know and the, all that. the battering ramps and all that stuff, and all that's gone. Um, yeah, they simplified it, and thank goodness. And they they threw in a few, just a few things here and there that made it kind of interesting. Um, you basically 
they, then they only give you two battle plans on this for siege mm-hmm. warfare. Um, and they seem pretty good. Like I, I read through them. Uh, one has relief force, and one is like just that great wall. So one you're playing, um, you know, uh, sort of like uh, just straight up battle line where you're on the long end and they're on the long end, and they've got their a sort of a U-shaped little, you know, their defense sort of in the center of their long battle line, and you're trying to break through, but they've also got relief forces coming in eventually, hopefully, on the backside. And the other one's the Great Wall, where you play it lengthwise, where you start on the short end, and they've got their whole defense running straight across that four feet on their end, uh, and there's two objectives to get one right in the territory and one behind it to get through. Mm-hmm. Um all right, so here's how it starts. You pick your battle plan. You choose the game. You figure out what you're going to do, who's going to attack, who's going to defend. Uh, in the attacker's territory and any neutral territories, you just basically set up the board like normal. Okay? Mm-hmm. Then the defender sets up scenery representing their stronghold. Okay? There is no rules for this. You just right. set up your stronghold however you want with whatever terrain you got. You got a hell fort. Set up a hell fort. Um, you don't have a hell fort, or you're not playing chaos. Set up what you have or what you think is appropriate for your need. Uh, the, the, actually, there is a rule: you must have at least five terrain features, and can set up any number more as long as all the terrain features are set up fully inside the territory. You can choose any terrain features you like, uh, or use examples shown for inspiration. Uh, the picture here is great. Yeah, and for those that aren't looking at it, it's a group of Sylvaneth, and essentially what becomes their uh, keep is wild a whole bunch of Sylvaneth Wildwoods, and there's a bunch of Bloodbound going in at it. And it's kind of like, huh, they don't need to make fortresses because the trees do it for them. Right, and That's it makes really sense. intuitive right yeah. away. Well, I'm playing, yeah, I'm playing Sylvaneth. The forest would be my fortress. And there's Sylvaneth Wildwood. So you're getting all sorts of bonuses for that anyway. Take it. Because you use all the rules for the terrain. Right. So you're going to want to go and look up all the rules for all those Chaos Dreadhold pieces if you don't have the Chaos Dreadhold book. Um, because that's that's your setup. Now, here's where the, it gets interesting. Here's where the main difference comes in. So um, you set up your terrain... You set up your your defender's fortress. Then you set up your armies following whatever instructions are in the battle plan. And then you have the siege phase. After you set up your stronghold and your armies before the first battle round, okay? Now, it's a siege, okay? Anyone who knows siege warfare, you got three options. Starve them out, break down the walls, or tunnel under the walls, right? Mm-hmm. So you as the attacker secretly choose one of the three. All right, you write it down or whatever. Mark what you're doing. The defender has three options as well. They can try to gather supplies to fend off starvation, rebuild any walls that have been battered, or counter-tunnel. Uh, you know, dig their own tunnels to get to and, and and I don't know, ambush the other tunnelers or collapse their tunnels, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there's a little chart that goes with this, but basically before 
the first turn starts, you're going to go in and you are going to... Um, hold on. Essentially, me... you declare which is going to be the main one you're going to pursue uh-huh. for either attacking or defending. And then you compare the die or the number that you've chosen. And there's a chart that corresponds. But then you still do all three of the attack methods. There's just modifiers to the roll based on the rules here. Right. And it's actually pretty simple. So uh, before this, before the seed starts, I'm the, let's say I'm the attacker. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I roll a dice for each one of your defending units. Okay. Uh, I subtract one from my roll if you're a hero. And then I apply the modifiers on the siege table, as we just talked about. There will be pluses or minuses depending on what each of us picked, okay? Mm-hmm. On a five or more, the unit takes D3 mortal wounds. So there is some starving going on, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, I need a five or more, a six. I need a six if you're a hero. Um, but then... Uh, already, uh, if you chose gatherer supplies, I'm at I'm at minus one to my roll for starving. So if you chose to gather supplies, I need sixes to do D three mortal wounds to any units and sevens to hurt your heroes. So your heroes won't starve at all. You know, right? Uh, for batter, I roll a die for every terrain feature in your defender's territory. So your little whatever you built up for for your siege uh, to defend against your siege on uh, five or more, the terrain feature has been breached and you can't use any of the it's it works for cover, but any of the special rules for that piece of terrain no longer apply. It's just blank cover. Mm-hmm. And once again, t- modifiers depending on what you chose, and you also roll for tunnel. Uh, we each roll a die. The attacker applies the modifiers on the chart, plus or minus to his roll. Defender just gets a straight roll. Bless you. Thank you. Uh, If the attacker's roll is higher, they have successfully completed their tunneling, and they can pick one hero and two other non-monster units to go through the tunnel. Uh, Any units sent into the tunnels are removed from the battlefield and can emerge from the tunnels at the start of any movement phase, any of their movement phases. When they emerge, they can be set up anywhere on the battlefield more than three inches from the enemy and within three inches of each other. This counts as their move for the movement phase. So basically, I got a hero and two other guys who are tunneling, and if I beat your roll, then they're tunneling. So at some point in the game, I can just bring them up more than three inches from you and within three inches of each other. So they all got to be next to each other because they came out of a tunnel together. They can't just come right. off on other parts of the board. So if I want that chance to bring these guys in somewhere, I pick tunneling. If I'm really the the whatever fortifications you've chosen, you know, the, all the rules for the Sylvaneth Wildwood, it would be nice to get to roll a dice against all those trees and just turn them into plain old forests again. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, maybe I'm choosing that. Starve. Uh, and then I just you get the bonuses. And then you just play out the game. You play out the game as normal. Uh, and then follow the siege war, and they're like I said, there's two scenarios here that they've got, and uh, you know I'm I'm hoping they will put out more, but I mean, how many different siege warfare scenarios can you play out? You know, I mean, there's only right. so many things to do, uh, and how many siege warfare games are you going to play? You know, uh, probably not a lot. Yeah, but it's good to have options 
especially since this was a component that was kind of murky walking in, and now it's a more defined mechanic. And it's simple, you know? It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not getting all crazy. I, I just, I remember the old rules, and I remember talking about it with Christopher, and he's like, dude, I've played that. I don't, you, we don't want to do that. Like, he's just like, mm-hmm. forget it. We don't want to. No, we're not. We, no. And then he looked at me and he's like, yeah, with your dwarves, forget it. <laughs> he's like, mm-hmm. So, um, that's it for the narrative play section. I, I, Siege Warfare makes sense to put under narrative play because that is totally a, a narrative style of gaming. Right. That is definitely telling a story. Yeah. And, um, and I like the little chart thing. I mean, it makes it makes total sense the way they're doing that. You can use that. You can totally steal that and use it for other scenarios you make up too. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so that's it for Siege Warfare. That brings us to a close for our uh, narrative uh, play. Let's come back in a minute and talk about a little bit about uh, the matched play. Um, we'll talk about some of the new rules because there are some new rules that are important to talk about. Um, like I said, um, even in episode, even in part two of this next episode, dude, we are not going to go through all the points. No, that would be ridiculous. But I mean, I know, I know some people like to tease me and say, you know, when we cover books, it's like, all right, page one written by, you know, artwork by, um, yeah, I'm, no. Get your book, buy your book, go through, find your points. I'm not doing that. Um, we will go through in great detail the Allegiance abilities, but um, and we'll talk a little bit about that now. But, uh, yeah, we're not going to do the points, even when we come back. When we come back, we do want to talk about some of the new rules and stuff like that. So that'll be that uh, next In the garage hammer shirt. Who cares about him? Look at that guy with the garage hammer hoodie. That's right, guys. Nothing tells the ladies I'm one of the gaming elite like garage wear. So hurry to garagehammer.net slash store, and soon you'll be the guy at game night that all the gamer chicks are talking about. Remember, boys, first you get your gear, then you win all your games, then you get the chicks. That's right, boys. The only gamers we notice are in Garage Gear. And we're back again. Here we are, ready to go into the narrative. Not the narrative. What am I saying? We just did that. We are ready to get into matched play. And yes. um, before we do that, before we get into matched play, Alex, I believe you've got something you want to say. I do. Um, go for it, so, my friend. Since GW has been leaking all of this information, especially the match play stuff out, 
and we've seen leaks from other websites or different countries, and now we're seeing everything in the handbook since you've probably got it in your hot little hands right now. There is a lot of negativity from a very loud minority group of people that are just unhappy with everything. And realistically, this is a game that we have tried to keep positive and I, it boggles my mind how negative people can be about such little things and that they're seeing in a small out of context thing and they haven't actually played with yet. I'm just throwing that right. in there. I know this is your rant and I'm sorry, but hey, no, I no, saw no, this no. one it's... small thing and now I'm mad. I want a right. Green Lantern ring like in the comic book. Sorry, go ahead. So what I'm saying, folks, is there's a lot of negativity out there, but keeping the faith, keeping positive is really where this is going to go. It takes so little to be negative, and especially for those that are trying or trying to be or saying that they want to be leaders in this community to preach the negative aspects or preach the horrible, horrible changes, even though they're not. This is not intended to be malicious. This is not workshop trying to screw people over or anything like that. Let it go. Work with the changes that we have. It's going to be okay. And it's a lot harder now with social media the way it is. Is any Tom, Dick, or Harry can put whatever they want on the internet or on Twitter or whatever and it's easy to fall into it. And everyone stumbles on this. I did this with some people who just can't stop being negative. I am asking you. And we all know the Hollowed Knights mantra is only the faithful. We use it at the end of the show for a very good reason. When we switched from fantasy to AOS, we it was a tough time. It was a period of changes. But on the other side, we got a better game with lore that is improving every time we're reading books. The models have been outstanding. Our faith in GW is being rewarded. And I would ask each one of you to keep the faith, to not give in to the negativity, and to have an open mind when it comes to all of these changes. You're going to have to think outside the box now, but don't give in and keep the faith. So that's me. And I'm, I'm really censoring myself and not saying everything <laughs> that I want to say, but guys, damn it. Just give this a chance and don't rip it apart. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I honestly think the, 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 I think it's a vocal minority. I think it it's a is. very vocal minority. And that's, you always get that on the internet. The thing mm-hmm. is, 99% of these people are looking at this stuff out of con- You haven't even played it yet. Yes, your army's different, and yes, it's... I saw the points. I know what's happened. Play it. Figure out a new build. The game has just changed. They just turned the game on its ear. We need to find a new way to play. I'm excited that things have mm-hmm. changed. I'm excited that things get shook up. Not that it was really stale, because the game, you know, the, the old handbook's only been out a year. I haven't even tried all the stuff in the armies I have yet. But the stuff, 
that they had, you know, st- some stuff needed changes, and now we got them, and other stuff, you know, things have been shaken up. Now, oh, look, all these new Allegiance abilities. Dude, just those Allegiance abilities have flipped this game, you know? Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. Like, I'm so excited. And, like, and I... And, I'm 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 talking way too long about this because I'm st- I, I get I I'm, I'm getting sidetracked in my own head. I just I don't want to see this happen. You know, if, if if when when General's Handbook 2018 comes out, this is gonna, this is going to happen again. You're going to get, mm-hmm. and I just it's like ugh, seriously, sh- ugh. They've shown that they're willing to make hard changes, and make adjustments and they've even done that on the fly mm-hmm. so this is a very different company if the meta is only like this for a tournament year or whatever it's going to be okay they're always taking feedback it's just constructive criticism and helpful suggestions versus you suck I, that's what it is everyone's got to write your opinion and if you and and, and i get that it's just the it's it's the it's the way you do it. It's you've ruined everything. Attitude. Everything's ruined. Everything is awful. That type of thing, or the yeah. or the a games workshop should do this thing that would totally not be good for business. And that the, the, the and we've seen a couple of those over the last couple of days. This this is dumb. They should do this. It would not be good for them at all. But it would be. I would like it. Mm-hmm. I want a Green Lantern ring like in the comic book. You can't have one. I want one. It just, I, it's, it's. I get We're that people off. are frustrated. No, I get that people are frustrated. I get it, but give it a chance. That's mm-hmm. my whole point. Give it a chance. You haven't right. used it yet. You know. <sighs> That's what drives me nuts. I, I, hey, look, I looked at the rules. I'm so smart that I can look at this without having played a thing, and I know exactly what's going to happen before it happens. All right, Crest. So that makes you an idiot savant. Yeah. Anyway. All right, folks. Let's talk to the fun stuff. Can we get back to that? All right. That would be great. Lots of fun stuff. Picking your army. First of all, 20% can be allies. Yeah. This which- is great. Yeah, and the big thing about the Allies rules is that it keeps within kind of theme of the main factions and can help plug holes in other factions. Like if you're playing Iron Jaws and you don't have a lot of shooting, suddenly you can take Gitmob Spear Chuckas to kind of fill that gap, but you still keep the main allegiance ability for the army that you're playing. Yep. So it doesn't let you get everything. Except for Stormcast, unless you're Order, because everybody gets Stormcast if you're Order. But yes, realistically, every order army can pick Stormcast, and Stormcast allies just says all Order. Yeah. So so take with what you will, but it's not. I don't think it's an overpowering mechanic, but I think it adds. It can plug holes in lines and still be thematic and almost dare say narrative. Is that a thing we can say? Sure. Um, so it's a good idea. Obviously, check them out. Every faction has their own allies list. 
Um, and then we're going to look at... I was kind of surprised got, at some of them, like who could and couldn't ally with certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I really honestly thought that the Beast Claw Raiders would be allowed to ally with Grotz. And those aren't allies for them. No. So I mean, you get the Gutbusters Grotz, so it used to be Noblars. Uh-huh. But you're not taking... The Moo Clan is not what it used to be. Right. So it's okay. Yeah. It's but, still good, but it's it's okay. But I think you're going to see less of that and more other mixes. I think it's great that they can ally with the Gutbusters and the other... Basically, all the other ogres now. Mm-hmm. That's great because they... You know, all Cav is cool, and you can still have all their cool rules, but now you can take a few ogres to grab objectives and things like that and not... Uh, and and not have to worry about having so few numbers. Uh, there's there's just some really cool stuff in there. Yeah. Um, so you want to do? Yeah. You want to take the rules of one? Yeah. So we've got five of them now, um, and the new ones, which we've seen, is that uh, the fourth one is you cannot re-roll or modify the roll at the start of each battle round that determines who picks who did. It's the first turn. So it's really chance. It's not modifiable by any way. Kairos Fateweaver used to have the situation where he could modify the dice roll. His worst roll changed to reflect that. There's a couple battalions where you can modify the number. Um, so it's uh, not... It's really truly down to chance as opposed to manipulation by a player. So... That is a good thing, because the double turn is devastating, but it should really be random. Yep. I think the only thing that we had talked about before, um, I think the... Was the uh, Lords of the Lodge for Fire Slayers. Oh, right. They had that ability, and that, yeah, that's why their, um... <laughs> that's why their battle scroll went down and not up. Right. Because that disappeared. But the, um, not the, uh, Mortis Engine, but the Coven Throne. Oh, yeah. Coven Throne, that's not actually modifying the roll. That will still work because... You're not changing the number. No. You just get to pick in case of a tie. In the event of a tie, you just, instead of re-rolling, you get to choose who gets to go first. So that's that's not modifying a roll. That's just saying in the event of a tie, you get to choose. So that'll still work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fifth rule of one is that no artifact of power or similar item like a Dracoth trait or a Great Endrin work can be taken more than once in the same army. Um, so you can't like double up on a mirror shield or anything like that with Stormcast. So it forces you to take different things and not just spam particular artifacts. Right. I almost, oh, I almost caught myself just asking, what if you have, what if you have enough that you use them all? That, you know, if you <laughs> if you have seven battalions, you did, or well, six you would need six battalions. Yeah, you done something wrong, son. Uh, or you could be playing. Yeah, I almost. I or you almost, could be a very very big game. Yeah, I almost asked it, and I caught myself and said, "No, you'd never. You could have six or seven heroes in a big game. You would never have six battalions." I I caught myself there. Um, did they adjust the second rule? Um. 
Yeah, it looks that way. So it's like a roll to hit of one for like, or a roll of one to hit wound or save always fails. And that's before modifiers. And by the same token, a roll of six to hit or wound always succeeds regardless of modifiers. So everyone gets a chance to fail or to succeed based on ones or sixes. So okay, that seems kind of a duh mechanic, but they needed to indicate it, I think. So, but if I throw penalties on you minus one to hit, and you roll sixes, and mm-hmm. you, you, you need you you still you still hit, right? So natural sixes always hit, and natural sixes always wound. That's and that's regardless of modifiers, because yeah, in both in cases both this cases, applies to this rolls applies. after rerolls, but before modifiers. So okay, mm-hmm. yeah, because so modif- it's a little yeah. extra check work, but it's not it's not bad. Okay. Uh, reinforcement points really have not changed at all. Nope. Uh, they still give you the little army roster. Um, six new... Oh, covers... Oh, m- monsters don't get cover. There you go. Boom. It's right in there. Done. Um, the triumph table is pretty nice. Uh, you can... Now, what we do with pitched battles... Uh, or with match play, a lot of times if you go to the tournament, you can, if if I don't use all my points and I have less points than you, I can roll on that. Yeah, right? and that's that's not changed. Right. So that's not changed. Uh, um, but we do have six new battle plans, which we will go over in our next episode, I think, because um, we're running a little long here. And then it talks about house rules, which is something that came up in the first General's Handbook about either measuring base to base, which is a common one, or you can do the cost of an individual model for an understrength unit. And it gives the example there of you just take the minimum number of guys and then divide it by the points, or you take the points cost divided by the number of guys, and that gets you points per model. So it's something that you can do. I don't know if there's going to be a lot of tournaments that will do that. but I hope not. It's certainly there if you want to play it that way. So, again, take what you want and play with it and make whatever modifiers you want. Yeah. The only time I could see that even working, and then it would become a big pain, especially in tournaments, is like if you're summoning. Mm-hmm. Like I summon something and now I don't have enough points to summon something else. Okay, well, how about if I summon half of that unit? Like it's half, yeah. half the points, half the unit. I have points for that. Yeah, okay, well. You know, I would I would let that fly, but that would be the I don't want people to start making lists where I'm using half a war scroll because there's you know that no I don't want to I don't want to deal with that yeah anymore. Um, um, so then we get to the points proper, and the two things I want to harp I want to hit here uh, is massive regiments, which applies yes. to a lot of units, but not all of them, especially if they have. A- a ranged weapon that was one of the common denominators is that if you have a ranged weapon chances are you didn't get massive regiment rule so it's essentially if you take the maximum number of guys in the unit you get a discount from what it was previously yep or current price it saves you a certain percentage so they're trying to encourage armies with more model count and the scenarios certainly encourage that and it gets away kind of from the elite type meta that we've been playing for a while. So this is not a bad thing. It's just different. So definitely encourage people to 
take a look at that and try it out. And then battalion cost. Um, a lot of people made a lot of stink about this. All the battalions, almost exclude, almost all of them, went up quite a significant chunk in points. Um, a so majority like the of them went up 100 yeah. points. Some were like some were so. yeah, some were sixty or fifty if you were so. But I, I actually rolled through this list. Most of them seem to go up a hundred points. Yeah, thereabouts. Um, so, and Jervis had gotten on the Twitch stream earlier this week and explained why that happened is because when they put the battalion costs together, they didn't incorporate the bonus for having another artifact. Or having the deployment control for how you deployed battalions, either as a one-drop or throughout the course, you just deploy them normally. So they didn't factor all of that in, in the cost of the battalions in GHB1. So that's why they've gone back and fixed these to the new increased cost. They're still good. You just have to make some additional sacrifices and changes to take them. But there's still a lot of benefit to taking them. There's still that benefit. I think one of the things is it's going to force people, like you said, you're going to have to make cuts to your list. And some people aren't going to want to make cuts. And that's my oh, another thing. Hey, look, you might have to try new lists. Yeah. I like trying. You know, it's like, I, honestly, I've been comfortable. My, I, have a, I have a Stormcast list that is my generic 2,000-point Stormcast list that I always take. If I if I want to take something that I know is sort of that is at least decently competitive, mm-hmm. um, I may not be taking that anymore. I may I'm, I'm going to try to branch out and try some new things. At least uh, you know, between now and Wapak, I'm going to be trying other things because I want to see if I can find something else that I can get that's decently competitive. Because mm-hmm. of that, co- and it's all because they yeah the cost change you know I yeah and with this we're going to see a lot less of the one drops. Thank Which goodness. is a good thing. Yeah. Because controlling so, that, yeah, is, yeah, I can totally that. See first that. turn, either setting up the alpha strike or whatever it is, it's just, it didn't always create the most fun situations. There are still, you can still do the one drops, but it's going to cost you a lot more to do it now. Which means you'll have a small army, so it's not going to be, quote, as effective. Now, a couple of things um, I just wanted to quick mention. Um, first of all, with the bonuses for the um, massive regiments, um, one, a lot, of, a lot of people are starting to pick up the little five-man movement trays, the staggered movement trays. Mm-hmm. Not a bad idea. No. Um, to, help, to help some quick movement because... It takes a while to move 20, 30 guys one at a time. And especially at a tournament, you've only got so much time. I know it takes me a long time to play these games. And I've been really trying hard to get my stuff down. Literally at the last, uh, when I went to Gen Con, I had a one-page cheat sheet with everything I needed to make sure I did in every phase listed out so i just literally ran a third game i played the guy laughed he's like you have all he's like i should do that i'm like Mm -hmm. i'm like i'm gonna forget something Uh, i just i literally just have it listed out because a i'm gonna forget and b this way i don't have to flip through all these different books to make sure i'm not forgetting something i've got it all right there uh you're gonna want to have the trays to speed you up also 
if you're deciding you're going to go with massive regiments, practice. Yeah. Play a game. If you're, I mean, if you're just playing in your basement, nobody cares. But if you're going to take these things to tournaments, practice. Because it's going to take a lot longer. It, and I know, because when we first started playing this, Alex, you and I played, you had all those orcs and I had all those zombies, and that game took all day. Yeah. So I don't think we're going to see as many massive regiments as what a lot of people are saying that they're going to do. Or, But the truth is, nobody wants to paint that many models. Right. So, but whether you're going to see a lot or a few, the people who do decide to take them, make sure that you can be efficient with them. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. And aren't there some bonuses? I don't know if they're in the pitched battle rules. I know I read somewhere where some of these, uh, like massive regiments, can just basically take objectives away from other units. Even if it depends they, on the scenario. Yeah. The, there's one scenario where a unit of twenty or more auto claims this uh, objective point. If unless even if there's something closer, yeah, but it depends on the scenario, is what that is. Cool. All right, uh, let's okay, let's move along. All right, we got I think one or two last things, and then we're going to wrap up the show. Um, yeah. So we get through the points, and I remember I, I get the book, and I'm scrolling through the points, 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 points. All right, what's next? Uh, I want to you know look at, and and I'm honestly kind of skipping past the points because I want to get to some of these. Allegiance abilities and see the cool things they've done. And I stop and it says War Scroll Update. And there is one War Scroll in this entire, uh, you know, uh, 160 page book. And it's the Grunstock Thunderers. And everybody's seen this already if you have any social media. And um, they fixed this unit. Um, I'm using the word fixed uh, in context, uh, almost in air quotes here, uh, because some people are really mad. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of salt about this one. Um, So realistically, for those who are not familiar, um, in the Caradron Overlords book prior to this update, you could have every model in that Grunstock Thunder unit take a different gun. But what a lot of people did is you would take all of the same gun. So you would have units of 10 mortars or 10 ether cannons. And then you spam that out with the ether chemist. But the problem is you couldn't build that from the box. There was no five cannons. There was no five mortars. There was one of each. There was one of each and then five rifles in the box. That's what you had. But if you wanted to do the whole unit... You either had to go to secondary sources to get the additional bits, paying God knows what prices for it, or you had to convert really well, so this way it looked right, or, my personal favorite option, you went out and bought 10 boxes of Grunstock Thunderers, so this way you could get all of the different weapon options for a unit of 10 guys. And you'd probably get a 10-man mortar team out of there. So either way, you dropped $400 on two units of 10 guys. Two units of five guys. No, two units of 10. $400. So that's 40 that's 10 boxes. times 10. Yeah. Yeah, well, you only get one per box. So that's right. 10 guys total. No, it's 10 of each gun per box. It's 10 of each gun in that math. Yeah. So that's... Two units of five guys with the same gun or one unit of ten with the same gun. Either way. 
Right. You get was- 10 models with Aether Cannons or 10 models with mortars or whatever. Oh, okay. You said two units of 10, and I was like, whoa, what? Okay, so well, I'm you sorry. get the mortar unit out of there. All but right. the point is, you had this ridiculous equation, and they took that away because it's unreasonable, realistically. And, and this goes back to Games Workshop. Honestly, guys, you know, if you're – okay, I'm, I'm the 45-year-old gamer here. I'm not their target audience. I'm just not. I know it. You know it. Um, you're the 30-year-old tournament gamer or the 25-year-old tournament gamer who's going for the elite uh, unit. You're not either. They want to get the kids with the disposable income. And when they come into a Games Workshop or they go to a tournament that Games Workshop is promoting, because they do promote them now, and they come in and they see, oh, wow, that was awesome. That thing just deleted everything. How do I get that? And you tell them, you have to go out and spend $400 to get that one unit of 10, or you have to go to secondary markets, or you have to convert up all this stuff. That's a big turnoff. They don't want that. They want you to build what came in the box, which I, I honestly believe is what they intended. You know, it said mm-hmm. you can build A or A or A, and yes, you could probably get a couple of boxes and throw two in if you had a couple of boxes and mix them up, but it was never, you know, make 10, 5 or 10 uh, mortars because they can reach across the board, and that's this is the cool thing that they do. Um, I, I think anybody who was doing that knew that you were kind of pushing the boundaries of rules as intended. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, there's a difference between rules and intended and rules as written. Right. But you kind of – I really think that you had to know that at some point the carpet was going to get pulled out. Yeah. Dude, even people who were doing – I knew people who were making them who said, yeah, they're probably going to change it. But while it's here, I'm doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that they did this to make it a more, I would dare say, friendly unit. Um, Look, I mean, and realistically – I've been preaching rifles in recommendations from my local guys because to do a unit of 10 guys with cannons, it's almost asinine the process that you have to go through. So forgive me for trying to, I don't know, be a good friend and try to save, you know, whatever money it is. The chemist with but, rifles, I mean, now that, and plus now the mortar range is shorter. When the mortar range was longer, that was, that was a little different, but 18 inch range, two attacks. Doubling that down to four, you know, the extra attack, or getting that extra attack with that, and and uh, it's not bad. Like the, no. the, the rifles actually, I thought I thought Russ said, you know, realistically, it's the rifles were the easiest way and and sort of the most reliable thing to yeah, get in there because it was the most consistent. It, the cannons and the mortars, as what they were, were really swingy and really dice dependent, and you don't get a lot of modifiers to hit. With Caradron Overlords, so everything else hits on a four. This is one of the only guns that hits on a three. So it was the most consistent, and it was kind of like the good in-between happy place. Yeah. As compared to, oh, okay, you drop down from the clown car, you get within 12 with your Thunderers and light a unit up. Okay, but then you die. And you die quick. Yeah. So and the, the story with this is actually kind of cool. I kind of like it. I mean, there's suppo- you know, if you read the story, the Grunstock stuff is all the elite weapons with the elite warriors. And here you've got like your little G.I. Joe team, everybody with their own specialty. Mm-hmm. And in the new rules. All right. So you fire the mortar. If the mortar wounds, then the guy with the deck sweeper who gets D6 attacks can reroll those D6 attacks. 
So if you get a crummy roll, you get to re-roll it. If he does any wounds, then the ether cannon uh, gets to... What does it get to do? The ether cannon... Reroll the hit and damage rolls. Hit and damage rolls. So all of... Yeah. So suddenly, um, you know, they're all linked. They're all just attacking that same unit, pounding them and doing all these things. Suddenly, this is a, a much more lore-based, interesting unit. Um, it doesn't have the awesome p- firepower of the 36-inch mortar with three chemists giving you a, you know 20 shots uh, with D3 wounds from, from range. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still take the rifles if you want to use the chemist. Otherwise, it's just a cool unit. It's very interesting. And here's my thing. To the people who say they just should have made them cost more. Just making them cost more and keeping that the way they were for for guys like me who actually just built what was in the box, you know, and just put it all in like that. I got two boxes. One is just all the rifles because it seemed kind of neat, and one was the the the, the mix of weapons because I wanted to try them out. You know, um, they were a little, you know, they 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 were cool to raise them in price. Because some other guy is going and, and doing a five-mortar chemist spam, you're validating that build that that guy's doing, and suddenly I'm paying more for playing it sort of the way that you guys put it together in the box, which is kind of what you wanted. So just right. raising the cost. I don't remember what podcast I was listening to, but they were talking about this, um, is that you know just raising and dropping costs isn't always the answer. No. You know, Sometimes you have to make these hard decisions, and I think Workshop is now showing that they have the chutzpah to make these unpopular decisions with some people to overall benefit the game is really what it boils down yeah. to. Because the mechanic with the clown car, Zilfin list, or the 12,000 Urbaz mortars at range list, there was no fun to that. Right. So now they're making it a better experience overall, even if it's not a popular decision with a lot of – with some very loud people. No, I wasn't so. happy when they took the little cannons or skyhooks or whichever it was and took them from three wounds to D3 wounds. You know what? We're already paying all those points for those things that it's hard to field anyway. They didn't need to kick me in the teeth on top of that. but uh, Oh, the drill cannon? Yeah. Yeah, that didn't need to go from three to D3. But um, – this this needed a change, and they changed it to fit the lore. It's one of the few units that actually, in this game, that you can play like it says in the book now. Yeah. So uh, this is, you know, I like this, um, but that's just me. I mean, I, I get it. You know, it, you spend all that money in, in converting and all that stuff, and now it doesn't work. Yeah, um, there is, like, a level of sympathy there because that is a significant chunk of your income in your time and effort, and I, we're not unsympathetic to that. It's just... <laughs> if you bought 10 boxes and you, and you made 10 mortars, what'd you do with the other 40? If you didn't sell them, you know, you, you got all that. You can make regular units with it again, although you won't need 10 units of, of Thunderers. You will never play with 10 units of Thunderers. No, you but You probably even... sold some of it, but, I mean, I don't know. You'd, hopefully you can salvage it and, and get some of that stuff put together for a unit or two. Yeah, but even putting... 10 guys with rifles and a chemist in a frigate 
and going after an objective is not a bad unit to do it. Nope. So it's just it's forcing you out of the clown car and trying to get you to play differently. And that's going to be better for the game overall. And we'll just have to see where it goes. This is not the end of the world. The sky is not falling, people. That is true. All right. Um, okay, so after that, everything here is um, battalions. Allegiance abilities. Battalions and battalions. Allegiance abilities. Um, we're all hitting, already hitting almost three hours, and we are going to hit this in depth mm-hmm. next uh, episode. So, um, I don't, you know what? I don't even want to just dive into our favorites or anything cool like that because I think we'll get tied up at least for another 20 minutes, even if we just each take one. Yeah. No, so. it's probably going to be better for us to digest all of these because there's so much change in how armies play now oh, that we want to be able to read through and give it the time that it deserves. Dude, you just so. pointed out how cool the Darkling Covens was to me when we were talking the other day, and I was like, oh, my God, that plays. Once again, talk about playing to the lore. That's a cool allegiance. Yeah, um, the Darkling Covens, so that's the old Dark Elves. But yep, it's everything that we're going to talk about changes like the tournament meta. It changes how armies play. And for us to talk about them with any sort of accuracy and competency is going to take a little more time. So please bear with us. We were going to get to this and now you're going to get a chance to process it too. And then you can really understand what we're talking about. So, so we can have like an informed conversation and podcasts about Legion's abilities and heaven forbid we do that because we never do that. Yeah, That's Alex and I, that, we did have that discussion beforehand. It was, do we just cover Path to Glory and wait a couple weeks to cover this book, or do we cover the book because everybody's dying for the book and everybody wants to hear about the book right now? And I said, let's cover the, let's cover the fluffy stuff. Let's cover yeah, that first. The, the stuff that a lot of people are just going to skip right past, and as we've talked about, I really hope that this changes people's opinions, that they need to take a look at open war and look at narrative and... Not just skip right to the match play stuff. Yeah, take a look at that stuff. And then in a couple of weeks, once you've had a chance to look at it and digest it, once we've had a chance to look at it a little bit more and and take and, and pick out some of the stuff we really like in it, then we'll come back and we'll hit all of that stuff. So I think I think it's time to wrap it up. How about you? I think so, too. Okay, so um, I'd like to... Uh, okay, before we wrap up, real quick, I uh, just want to remind everyone, you know, you know, we have the Patreon page. And I want to thank uh, David McLean and John Christensen one more time for becoming one of the almost 1%. Um, Patreon.com slash GarageHammer. Um, you can see all our list of Patreons, uh, patrons on our on the GarageHammer webpage. If you just click under uh, Sponsors, there's a whole link to just the patrons. There's a whole thank you list for them. Uh, because we do appreciate that. Also, if you want to leave us an iTunes review, dude, I, I still check them. I still read them. I like them. I appreciate them. Um, so we would love that as well. Other than that, Alex, uh, thanks for getting up on Saturday morning at uh, at seven thirty and doing this with me for the third. Well, we only did it in two sittings, but the third the third take. Good mm-hmm. gravy. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Um, we will get this next one done next time. We'll be back. Uh, Alex, have a good rest of your weekend. I will talk to you soon, brother. Absolutely. All right, folks, until next time, 
Only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all others fall. And only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hand. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garagehammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at garagehammer. And Alex, that's me, is at somekindageek30. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at soundcloud.com slash Music. Finally, if you want to join the Garage Hammer community, as well as the AOS community worldwide, you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance Forums. That's tga.community. Or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening.